podcast. podcast. <laughs> what are we what doing? What is this? <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Latara. Hello. I'm Mrs. <laughs> Featherbottom. I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Passions Podcast. Ooh, we are so off the rails. It's fine. This is fun. Uh, I'm Laura. I'm Latara. We did that. I oh, you didn't, I didn't. You didn't say your name. Didn't say my name. I did not say my name. No, you called yourself Mrs. Featherbottom. That's right. Good old Tobias Funque. Funke. Funke. All right. Oh my God, what a mess. It's all right. Let's let's uh, let's stop doing this. Let's tell the good people <laughs> who have tuned into this disaster what is happening today. Today we're going to talk about episodes 106 through 110 of Passions. Boy, oh boy, was it a fucking ride. Oh my God. I loved most of it. There were some things that I hated charity, but everything else was excellent this week. I pretty much loved everything this week. Basically all of it. Yeah. Um, before we get started, we do want to make a quick announcement that we will be taking next week off because it's Thanksgiving. So we're not going to have time to watch passions. Um, and so next Monday there will be no new episode, but we'll be back the week after. Correctamundo. Yep. All right. So you ready to get into this thing? Let's get into this thing. Let's uh, let's start by talking about our favorite lovable lunatic. I love her so much. <laughs> I love her so fucking much. I just want her to win. Yeah. I want her to win. Let's, so yeah, let's talk about our favorite Teresa Lopez Fitzgerald. Our favorite one. Our favorite, the only one, our favorite Teresa. Yeah. All right. So remember... That the power has gone out at this cabin that Teresa is stuck with Ethan in. Gwen has presumably turned around to go back to Harmony because the roads are impassable. Mm. Or so they think. Mm. The power's gone out. So Ethan has made like a pallet of blankets and pillows on the floor in front of the fireplace in their little love nest. And he apologizes again for the, for the heat going out. Uh, and, you know, rubbing his dick on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants to make sure that Teresa will be uh, comfortable sleeping near him because he assaulted her earlier. And, like, well, she agrees. She's like, no, it'll be fine, of course, because she wants to sleep near him. She'll be extremely comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But she, she tells him, no, it's totally fine, and goes to put something on the mantle and then falls down on top of him. <laughs> like, what is this setup? <laughs> so ridiculous. Like, falls into him, and they fall on this little love nest, like you said. And, and Ethan, like, kind of laughs a little and says, usually when something like that happens... Gwen is there to see it. <laughs> oh, she's all, somehow she's always around when something like this happens. Oh, uh, he says. But at least Gwen isn't here this time. Cut to Gwen, who finally has a scene partner. It's some guy eating a hot dog <laughs> at the gas station. Poor Gwen. <laughs> Poor Gwen for this part of the episode. Poor Gwen for this part of the episodes. Uh, and she's talking to him about how so excited she is to go surprise her boyfriend Ethan. And the dude is presumptuous, but says, maybe it's not such a good idea to barge in on your boyfriend. You know, he might be with another girl. And Gwen's like, not my Ethan. No way. Okay. <laughs> so Gwen is on her fucking way. Yeah. She's like, I'm headed to the cabin. I'm going to sneak in. And 
he's going to be so surprised. Mm-hmm. He won't be the only one surprised. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So back at the cabin, um, Ethan talks about Gwen and how upset she would be if she knew that Teresa was there. And he says he just wants her to feel totally secure in their relationship. And he talks about how much he loves her and he would do anything for her. Of course, Teresa like looks a little sad to hear all of these things, but she, you know, she's faking the funk. All right. You know, she's doing all right. <laughs> and he again apologizes for rubbing his dick on her. And um, then they lay down to go to sleep. But, but wait, then this something was, is missing. This was some bullshit. <laughs> Ethan sits up really fast and he's like, this isn't right. And I was like, yeah, you mean like you're having a romantic sleepover with a teenage girl? You're right. Something about this is not right. But, but no, no, the missing element from their snowbound experience is this night needs marshmallows. marshmallows. To which Teresa exclaims, you like marshmallows? Yeah, like most people do. Like a lot of people like marshmallows. That's not un- like uncommon. Yeah. She was like, oh, you like, as if it's a major connection for the, the two of them. I think it would be a little more shocking if, if she was like, oh my God, you like medjool dates too? Right. Like some, not right. marshmallows. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, you like durian fruit too? Like, yeah. <laughs> like something. Oh my gosh, you like a midnight snack of jicama? Like, but honey, this gets worse. Yeah. This gets worse. Because Ethan goes, of course, what fool wouldn't like marshmallows? You're a fool. You're a fool, even though you like marshmallows. Fool. He's foolish. Anyway. Yes, this is true. So then she's like, well, you just sit back and I'm going to make us some amazing marshmallows. And then they argue about who has the superior marshmallow toasting technique until they both say at the same time their way of making marshmallows super duper covered with powdered cocoa. And then Teresa looks at him and says, you know, super duper. And he looks at her and says, you know super duper? Yeah, because you were both raised by the same fucking woman. Ridiculous. Pilar raised both of these two individuals. Granted, she did it in separate households. But yes, of course. You know super duper, Laura? Is there any other kind of marshmallow? I've never heard of this. I've never heard of such a thing. Super duper. Covered with... Su- so stupid. Covered with c- powdered cocoa. It sounds good, though. It sounds good. It sounds good. I probably Maybe should, that'll be should, our next snack. We should make that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, they realized that Pilar was the person that taught them both about super-duper marshmallows. And they flirt a little and discover how close they are because Pilar was in charge of both of their households. Yeah. It's like, wow, she's made us so close and we didn't even know it until this very moment. Yeah, and (laughs) Ethan's like, you know, Pilar links us. And then Teresa says, do you believe in fate, Ethan? (laughs) And Ethan says... You know, I don't believe in, like, horoscopes and things like that. He's like, do you? And and have you ever had your fortune told? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I did have my fortune told once. And he's like, well, what the fortune teller tell you? We all know what the fortune teller told Teresa. Right. It was that she was going to marry somebody with the last name Crane. But, of course, she doesn't tell him that. Of course not. But he does tell her, you know, I hope your fortune comes true. And then they start talking about how maybe the fortune would be the guy that Teresa has a crush on returning her feelings. But Ethan still hasn't pieced together that it's him. Child, the the things he says to her, the things he says to her. 
He's trying to guess what the fortune teller told her. And he says, I can see by the look in your eyes that it was about love. And he says, and I know that your fortune will come true. And then he like pretends to be a fortune teller, which was weird. He's like, Ethan the Great knows all or some bullshit. It was weird. But then he says that um, she will make whoever her fortune is about love her. And he says, can any man resist you if you're in love with them? Sooner or later, Cupid's arrow is going to hit him, and he won't believe how blind he's been that he didn't love you from the beginning. Oh, Ethan. The things he says to her. He's speaking about himself, and we all know it. That's the... Ugh, Ethan. I'm sorry, but the more Ethan we see, the dumber and dumber he becomes. He's an idiot. He's a moron. He is so dense. Yeah. Lead. How is he a fucking attorney? How did he pass the bar exam? I'm serious. The same way Trump got through Wharton. He paid for it. He's such a doofus, this man. Ridiculous. Such a doofus. So after flirting with her, knowingly, come on, knowingly, he reneges on the marshmallows and says, well, we have to get out of here first thing in the morning, so we better go to bed. Yep. So they lay down and go to sleep and snuggle up together. They snuggle up together. In front of the fire, in front of a roaring fire. They sure do. Meanwhile, the plows have cleared the roads and Gwen is on her way to the cabin. And Gwen says, you are in for the shock of your life, my love. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Somebody's in for quite a shock. Gwen, I think you might be the one in for the shock of your fucking life. I mean, the the shock of the century. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine? We're going to get there. Let's keep, let's let's keep, keep going. going. Okay, so Teresa and Ethan have now fallen asleep near the fire. They're snuggling, and Teresa has a dream. And uh, in that dream, Ethan is proposing to her. Mm-hmm. And she says yes to him, and then they start holding hands in their sleep, and she's kind of speaking out loud, in, in kind of reliving her dream a little. She says, yes, Ethan, yes. And he... Um Snuggles closer to Teresa and spoons the fuck out of her. Yeah, and she's so little, she kind of like disappears. Like you can't see her next to him. And then Gwen arrives to the cabin. And she walks in. She sees Ethan next to the fire. She doesn't see Teresa. She thinks he's, you know, by himself. Oh, the power's gone out, so he's sleeping near the fire. Well, I know of a way to warm him up. So she goes over and she starts to crouch down, but she is horrified. I mean, rendered fucking speechless Mm -hmm. to find Teresa there. And Teresa, like, wakes up, sees Gwen, is also rendered speechless. <laughs> and both of these two women are just looking at each other in silence. And it was amazing. Because <laughs> what do you say? What do you say? What do you Truly. Say? Truly, what do you say? Oh, my God. And then, and then finally Ethan wakes up. Ethan finally wakes up. And he's like, Gwen? <laughs> This shit was crazy. And the first thing out of his mouth is, it isn't what it looks like. I mean, yeah, it isn't what it looks like, Gwen. What else do you say? What can you what say? What can you say? Well, Gwen goes off, and I loved it. She says, I'm tired of being played the fool. 
and she tells Ethan to fuck all of the way off. All the way off. She was like, I'm tired of these excuses. Because he, he, he was like, let me explain. He's like, I don't, she was like, I don't want to hear any more of your fucking lies, Ethan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you had wanted to break up with me, you could have done it. At least had the decency to do it to my face instead of planning this little rendezvous with Teresa. Th- that was stupid. I like, I get it. Well, no, I no, get it. I don't get it. Here's what I don't get. Because what does she think Ethan's plan was to have her come up and catch her with, catch him with Teresa? You see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? Like I they, think- they had been on the phone. I understand why she's mad and she has every right to be mad. He never told her that Teresa was there, but like the whole, oh, if you wanted to break up with me, you could have just told me instead of having this rendezvous with Teresa. Obviously, none of this was for Teresa. Okay, but, but Gwen thinks that it is. Gwen thinks that Ethan told her to turn around and go home because he had planned like a little thing with Teresa. Like, I, and it doesn't really make sense because why go through the trouble of yeah. having her come all the way up here? But, yeah. but she's angry, and in that moment, that's what she thinks. Yeah, it, it's just illogical. Hmm. All right, so... Teresa jumps in and tries to say, like, you know, it's not what you think. And she's like, shut up, Teresa. <laughs> what the hell are you doing here, Teresa? Like, she is pissed. She's pissed. And then she makes the good point. She's like, there's no way Teresa could have beaten me here because of the snowstorm. So what is going... Like, I think at that point, Gwen's brain kind of catches up to her anger and realizes, wait a minute, he couldn't have actually planned this rendezvous because she. there's no way she could have beat me here with the storm. So you better explain yourself. Yeah. Yeah, she fi- she kind of realizes that Teresa must have been here while all of those hundreds of times she called. She was on the phone with Ethan so many times. She we called talked him about every it 15 minutes. So much and every single time he just neglected to tell her that Teresa was there. And that now and this is where I was like I'm on Gwen's side 100% because she's like why didn't you tell me she was here? All of those times, and here I am, a fool, thinking you're alone up here, you're so sad that you're going to be snowed in alone, and I was so worried about you. Meanwhile, you had Teresa here to keep you company. Why didn't you tell me? And if there's nothing going on, why didn't you fucking tell me? Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, yeah, Gwen is making 100% sense. Yes, I was 100% on Gwen's side, and Teresa tries to start to explain and, and uh, Gwen cuts her off and says, don't you dare tell me how to feel, Teresa, because Teresa's trying to explain, and Gwen doesn't want to hear it, but then Teresa word vomits. Oh, my God. Horde. Teresa. Teresa. And, and kind of tells Gwen about every single detail of the evening, including Ethan rubbing his naked body on her. Mm-hmm. Like, it's bad. She t- she lets it all hang out. And Gwen goes, Ethan kissed you? And <laughs> Teresa again tries to explain. And she's like, well, but he had all of these wonderful things. And the, the caviar was great. And the oysters were great. And then she's like, uh, Gwen turns to Ethan and says, you had our romantic dinner with her? <laughs> you <laughs> ate all of our food with her? And he says, we had to eat. <laughs> Like, I threw my hands up. I threw my hands up in the air at that point. Like, I give up on him. I give up. I give up. He's not worth saving. He's not worth saving. And also, why is the conversation between Gwen and Teresa? The conversation should be between Gwen and Ethan. Ethan's just too dumb to say anything. Teresa is telling the truth. Because Mm -hmm. because that's the right thing to do. But also, she wants to absolve herself. Because she hasn't 
really done anything wrong. Like it's all Ethan. It is. It is all, all Ethan. It is all Ethan. And like this all could have been avoided. One, if he had just told Gwen that she was there, but also if he had just answered the phone when Julian called. Yeah. Or just called Gwen. He could have, he could have just called Gwen and said, Hey, Teresa just showed up. She has some papers that Julian wants me to sign and the snowstorm is really bad. So she's going to stay on the couch or I'll put her in the room. I'm going to stay on the couch. We're going to have dinner and then we're going to come back tomorrow. Once the snow clears, I'll make this up to you. Like he, you know, and he could have left out some of the more sordid details Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't have been a problem, but because he kept lying now, everything is coming up. Yeah, absolutely. He could have prevented this. Mm -hmm. He really could have. Mm -hmm. Oh Lord, Ethan. But they again try to explain about everything, and Ethan says, you know, everything was completely innocent. And Gwen finally says, if it was so innocent, then why didn't you tell me she was here when we were on the phone? And she says, uh, you know, I don't want to hear it. I'm out of here. And she leaves. She storms out, and Ethan chases after her, and Teresa says... This is my favorite part. Oh, my God. Teresa says, Gwen's really mad. And then she smiles that fucking Grinch smile. She smiles like a lunatic. She she smiles that the Grinch that stole Ethan smile. It was so evil. Teresa. This, was, this I girl. love her, though. This girl. I'm into it. Gwen like, I was mad. into it. Gwen is mad. Really mad. Mwah. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, evil. <laughs> oh, my God. It was amazing. She's so interesting. Anyway. Outside, um, Ethan again tries to convince Gwen that nothing happened. But Gwen says, like, how could you pop? She makes the point that we made, which is, how could you possibly kiss her and think she was me? How? Absolutely. She's like, there's something going on here. She's like, there's got to, there's something else. Yeah. And she, she, you know, Leaves. She they gets have in her their car little, and drives home. They have their little breakup moment, and she leaves. And Ethan's like, but you have to believe me. You have to. Ugh. That's it. That's all he can say. I I can't stand Ethan. The thing is, like, I want to... I love Teresa. I'm liking Gwen in this moment. I just don't get why either of these wo- women are hung up on Ethan. I said he that sucks. last time. I said that last time. And, so you were like, and you were like, well, don't you remember the... The crushes that you had yeah. and like Yes, and I stand by that. I get I get it. I get what I get that he part sucks. of it. But like he sucks. He sucks. That's what I'm saying. He sucks. Oh, he's and, a but terrible I, boyfriend. I do I do I guess I do understand because Gwen has been with him for so long. You know, like I, I understand that part. I understand Teresa and her schoolgirl crush. I under, I get it, but like from an outside perspective, Ethan Crane is awful. This is not a man he's I would Nothing going on. This is not a man I would fight for. Never. Not a man I would fight for. Not like if you're here, you're here, fine. But I'm not fighting for it. Uh Uh-uh. No, not at all. So, you know, then Teresa kind of takes the chance to call Whitney and fill her in on what's happening. But that's it at the cabin for now. Yeah. Um, so let's move on. Yeah, let's talk about uh Ethan's parents. Well, the people that he thinks his parents are. <laughs> his mom <laughs> his and mom. that man. His mom and her and and her and husband. Her husband. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his mom and her husband. So yeah. Ivy and Julian have returned to the to the house on the hill. They've come from an event. And I just quickly have to say, 
I'm not loving Ivy's look. Really? I, I did not it. love it. It looks like a it kind of looked like a villain costume from an opera. It had like that kind of collar, but then the rest of it, I was really underwhelmed. I think with. that's why I liked it. I really liked the top half. I didn't even notice the bottom part. Like, yeah. was the skirt big? No. Okay. It didn't balance it out, and like the re- there were like the the collar was very dramatic and great, and then the rest of it just didn't live up to what that collar oh, was. Okay, because I thought from like the chest up, she looked great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they've come back from some sort of event, and Ivy starts to taunt Julian immediately. (laughs) That's all she does these days. Ivy's just constantly poking the bear. That's her favorite thing. And she's saying, you know, Sheridan's, you're worried about Sheridan uncovering the truth about that night, aren't you, Julian? And then Julian, like, snaps at her, and he says, this is more serious than you know, and it could destroy this whole family, including your precious Ethan. So don't you dare gloat. And he then he goes, and don't, and especially don't let Pilar get wind of any of this. And then Pilar comes in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So Pilar has come in to talk with Ivy about Teresa. And she says, I got a message on my machine that Teresa was staying the night and she was safe, but I don't know where she is. I called her friends. They don't know where she is. So I'm getting a little bit worried. And at this point, I'm like, but Pilar knows that she went up to deliver the papers. That's exactly how I felt. So, like, why are we trying to pretend that Pilar has no clue what's going on? So, anyway, I guess I guess they have rewritten history a little bit. And Ivy is like, oh, she, Teresa went up to deliver papers. Like, let me get you the number to the cabin and we can see what's going on. And um, mentions that Gwen is also on her way up to the cabin, which makes Pilar very concerned. And then, yeah, wouldn't Pilar know that already? She already knows that. Yeah. We did like a full episode where she was standing there while Julian gave Teresa those papers. Right. I don't know why we did I this. I don't know. That was weird. It, yeah. I don't know. So then Ivy notices that something is bothering Pilar. She's like, what's wrong? And I mean, I mean, I just told you I don't know where my daughter is, so that's part of a big part of it but also i don't know where my son is yeah and also i don't know where my husband is or my other son either (laughs) (laughs) Pilar's just like i don't know where any of my loved ones are. my whole life is falling apart she probably doesn't know where miguel is either probably not (laughs) she's got a daughter another daughter oh yeah paloma i forgot about lord knows what she's up to who knows so (laughs) pilar poor pilar so ivy asks if Pilar's upset about what Julian told Luis. And then they talk about the Martin story all over again. Blah, blah, blah. We know it. But Ivy asks if she's ever heard from him in all of these years. And Pilar says no. And then Pilar says she believes Martin only left to protect his family and was forced to leave by someone. Hmm. Forced to leave by someone. Hmm. So then Ivy insists that Pilar takes the car home and sees her out. So Pilar leaves without ever hearing anything that Ivy and Julian were talking about. Although she may have heard it. Because we also, later on, Pilar makes a, a comment about how she hears and sees a lot of things in the mansion. Yeah. Pilar just knows more yeah. than she lets on. Pilar is a fly on the wall, and Julian and Ivy are not smart enough to realize that she knows everything that happens in that house. Yeah, she's aware. Yeah. So in the other room, Julian is calling the airport to request their private jet because he needs it the following day. <laughs> and it is at this moment he discovers that Sheridan took the plane down to New Mexico. So 
he starts freaking out and he calls Martin Fitzgerald down at a Linder Industries or whatever in Santa Fe. Now, Ivy listens in because after having this conversation with Pilar, I think Ivy's interests have been piqued. So she listens in, storms in the room and says that it is crystal clear to her that he and Alistair are covering up Martin's appearance. And as she's yelling at Julian, she puts it together that the man in New Mexico going by Martin Fitzgerald is just a decoy. He is not the actual Martin Fitzgerald. And she says that Julian and Alistair must have paid this man to throw the scent off of the trail of the real Martin. So, like, Ivy is miles ahead of where I was. Well, she's <laughs> like, putting a lot together. And she, she goes, yeah. Yeah. She goes, what the hell is going on, Julian? And he's like, drop it. <laughs> he gets more and more upset, right? Yeah. He, fi- he says, you're hysterical, Ivy. Leave it alone. And then he goes... What's more important, your son or your housekeeper? Mm. Mm. And he goes, I know you despise me, but you love all the wealth and power that comes with being Mrs. Julian Crane. Do you want to lose all that? Do you want to trade this mansion for the rundown bungalow on the wrong side of the tracks that Pilar lives in? Again, I threw my hands up. I threw my hands up. I had to throw my hands up. That, that was some vicious, vile shit. Yeah. So Julian warns her, tells her to stop asking questions, and ends with, if Alistair is willing to sacrifice his own daughter to keep family secrets, just what the hell would he do to you? Mm, good question. Mm. Good question. Mm. So that's where we leave it with them for this first day. Mm. Mm, but we'll be back to them. We will be back. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the worst person in harmony. <laughs> Charity. Charity. Well, Charity has narrowly survived being burned at the stake in the high school auditorium while they rehearsed for their Thanksgiving pageant. So, so here we go. Yes. So Miguel is carrying Charity out. (laughs) He's like holding her in his arms. And Charity remembers Miguel saving her from her house fire. And she seems to be getting her memory back, really. Yeah. And then Kay says to Miguel, you can probably put her down now. I'm sure she can walk. Yeah. <laughs> but Miguel, like, insists on carrying her. He's like, oh, I- I'm not going to put her down until we get to the hospital. I wonder if she rode in his lap in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they walk to the hospital. I don't know. He's going to carry her all the way to the hospital. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a small town. Maybe the hospital is right nearby. Maybe it's within walking distance. Walking distance is different from carrying distance. <laughs> okay? As a person who has to carry her groceries a block, and like sometimes I get to the front door and I'm like, oh my God, my arms are going to fall off. Just from carrying two bags. Imagine if it's a person. Girl, I had two bags the other day coming from Target, and it was the longest walk <laughs> in the history of walking. I was like, these three blocks are taking an eternity. It's crazy. But one of my bags was really heavy, and I was like, ugh. Yeah. So now it's imagine drudgery. that instead of like a couple bags, it's a human being. Yeah. No, where I the, mean, the weights distributed all unevenly. Nah. Nah. Yeah. Uh-uh. I mean, I would, personally, I would never have even picked charity up. <laughs> Girl, your legs work. You can walk. I don't, I don't pick up children after like a certain... Um, weight limit. I'm like, okay, I can't pick you up anymore. Yeah. My niece was very disappointed because she was a chunky kid and she was very disappointed at like two years old. And I was like, I'm not picking your ass up anymore. You can walk. (laughs) (laughs) You're like 75 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Not doing that shit. (laughs) 75 pounds. She was probably like, 
30 pounds top. She was big. <laughs> She's two. She was fat. <laughs> She, I love her she so much. She was a charm. No, she was perfect. She was, she was perfect, but I really couldn't hold her. Mm. Anyway, let's go on. He's carrying her to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sam and Hank stay, stay behind at the school to investigate what caused this fire. And Sam immediately wonders, where has Tabitha disappeared to? Everybody else is here. Everybody else is worried about charity, but I don't see my creepy neighbor anywhere. Mm-hmm. And Hank's like, why are you asking about Tabitha? <laughs> you know, she's like, well, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a feeling. I just want to know what she knows. You know, he's like, where was she during the fire? Mm-hmm. Basically. So they're checking out the pyre where Tab, not Tabitha, Charity was about to be burned at the stake. And he notices that the fire was definitely started under the stage. And he goes, maybe we shouldn't be asking what fi- started the fire, but who started mm-hmm. the fire. Mm-hmm. And you are right, Sam. You're on the right track, Sam. We know who started the fire. Tabitha, Tabitha started the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. Tabitha started the fire with her laser eyes. And the, I don't know. I can't think of a way to finish it. She, she started the fire. Yeah. She starts every fire. Tabitha starts every fire. Tabitha starts every fucking fire all of the time. Tabitha the... Tabitha the fire starter. But remember, she has been cornered by that angel. At the end of the last group of episodes, the angel came out and cornered Tabitha. Mm -hmm. And so they're outside having a confrontation. The angel tells Tabitha that, quote, the end of her wicked ways has come. You will never be able to harm charity, end quote. And Tabitha says, not even an entire celestial army can stop her from killing charity. And uh, what does the angel do? She well, she says you haven't changed, Tabitha, and and you never will. And she says he has the power. Tab says I ain't scared. <laughs> also, surely she's talking about God. Oh uh, yeah, he has the power. Well, yeah, he has the power. <laughs> okay. She, she Tab says I ain't scared. Charity Standish will no longer be standing after I'm through with her, no matter what the man upstairs thinks. And then the angel. tells Tabitha she's going to teach her a lesson that she needs to be taught. And then she binds her with rings of light and lifts her into the air. And she goes, (laughs) I've warned you for the last time, Tabitha. If you try to harm Charity, you will be punished. Why not just finish Tabitha? I don't understand. Like, are they just trying to give her the opportunity to be better? Can they not kill? I mean, the God of the Old Testament killed a lot. Left and right. There's some fucked up stuff in that Old Testament. Oh my God, so much. Old Testament much. God is pretty fucked up. It's so much. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I guess maybe killing is evil. Well, killing is wrong. Killing is evil. And so maybe they're just like, we're going to try and reform her. We got to try and reform this bitch. We can't kill her. <laughs> we can't kill her. I mean, it's New Testament God where all is love. I don't. They have Batman rules. They don't kill. <laughs> I we guess. I don't kill. get it. I don't know. So the ta- the angel. The angel fucks off after kind of scaring Tabitha and Timmy. And uh, our two favorite villains kind of crouch in the bushes because they see Sam and Hank heading off to the hospital. And they're like, ah, well, I guess we better head off to the hospital and see what's going on, too. So they kind of follow them. Yep. And uh, we end up at... The hospital, Harmony, Harmony hospital. hospital, Crane Industries Hospital. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and so at the hospital, 
Tabitha actually runs into Sam, and Sam wants to question her about the fire. He's like, Tabitha, I just want to ask you a few questions about the fire. But Grace interrupts and asks Sam why he wants to question Tabitha. And she says, she's just a harmless old woman. Grace, let this man do his job. Yeah, let this handsome man work. Let the man work. Let the man do his work. I, I, uh, I'm really annoyed that Sam seems to be the only person who's on to Tabitha. Everyone else is just like, oh, she's kooky. She's I, weird. But I think Miguel is too. A little bit. I'm starting to get the sense that Miguel is a little bit anti-Tabitha. Yeah, I think Miguel is too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so at the hospital... Eve is wrapped up in her own shit that we are about to get into, but she gets called away from that shit to get into this shit. <laughs> and, and she admits Charity and Miguel both to the hospital, and ha- she has them both sharing a room because Miguel insists that he can't leave Charity's side. Like, I will not let her out of my sight. Ugh, so whatever, Miguel. They put these two teenagers in the same room. Whatever. Okay. And um, then Simone asks Kay, she goes, runs over to Kay. She's like, you set Charity on fire? (laughs) That was my favorite. I laughed so hard. The horror in Simone's eyes, she truly thought that her best friend set her cousin on fire. She's like, I'm going to have to turn this bitch in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Simone would do it. I think there was a line, and if you cross it, Simone will do the right thing, I think. Yeah, no, I don't think Simone would let, let Kay get away with setting someone on fire. No, I don't think so. Like someone tied to a stake. <laughs> like that's no. attempted murder. That's next level. Yeah. So Kay tells her friend, I did not start the fire and you got to stop thinking about that and worry about bigger problems because if Charity gets her memory back, then I'm never going to win Miguel. Uh, so again, Kay is not worried about her cousin's safety. She's worried about if her cousin gets her memory back. Yeah. She's worried about what, else charity remembers yeah it's crazy k i can't again they try to make you they try to make me team k there's a couple of there's some things that happen later on that i'm like oh poor k and i hate feeling like that because she sucks man i don't want to be sympathetic i don't think we'll i don't think we'll be sympathetic to k for long yeah it it never lasts very long it's fleeting (laughs) but um but yeah so so uh so k is worried about this because charity is starting to have little memory flashes. And she kind of is telling everyone that she's starting to remember certain things. And she says, I'm sure I'll start remembering more about everyone soon. And then she turns to Tabitha and says, you too, Tabitha. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like specifically, she's like, I'm going to start remembering you. Oh, I want to say something about the charity voice too. Later on, she gets like really excited about things and her voice becomes very different, but it's still just as aggravating. (laughs) I wish I could. I wonder if I can do it. Oh, my God. Like, I can't even do it. I can't do it. I'm going to cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Charity, even when she's excited, she talks like this. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) The, like, weird gravel in her voice. Ah. But it's airy, too. Yeah. her voice is crazy. She like her chords never adduct. No, they never fully meet. Like there's never any. There's like the subglottic pressure is so uh, lacking that like her, her vocal cords cannot come together. How does she make sound? It's I don't crazy. Know. All right, so you ready to talk about Eve? 
Russell. Oh my God. Let's talk about Eve Russell and okay, child. This was this shit. Okay, so it opens up with with the camera on Eve in the hospital, and she looks. She's staring at a sleeping Orville, and I swear to God, I was like, this woman is an angel of death, doctor. Like, the, the look in her eye, the way that she's staring at this helpless old man who's been sedated beyond belief, I was like, what is she going to do to him? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And she's thinking about how she kept Orville from talking to Chad, and uh, she then tells the kids, she goes out, and she tells the kids that Orville is still unconscious, and she doesn't know when he'll wake up, basically. So she tells Chad that he should leave. And he's like, uh, no, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, no. He's like, I'm not going anywhere until he wakes up. Oh, well, one, this man seems to know something about my past. But two, he doesn't seem to have anybody. Right. Like, I'm yeah. not going anywhere. He got was, hit by a car. He has, yeah, exactly. He's an old dude who got hit by a car and is alone. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Um, but so Chad, yeah, says, I'm not going anywhere until he wakes up and tells me about my past. And then Simone says that she wants to stay and hear what Orville has to say, too. But Eve is like, oh, no, you will not. So Chad leaves and Whitney asks Eve um, why she doesn't want them to stay and hear what Orville has to say. Whitney's starting to have some doubts about her mother, I think. Well, her mother's reaction is so over the top. She's constantly reprimanding her daughters. She's, she threatens to ground Simone for six months if she doesn't start hanging, if she doesn't stop seeing Chad. Like, if you don't stop hanging out with that boy, I'm going to keep you in the house for six months. Yeah, it was crazy because she tells Whitney, your lack of judgment is appalling. I mean, her reaction is so big. It was, it was big and so suspicious mm-hmm. because, again, Whitney says... Why don't you want us to stay here and hear what Orville has to say? And Eve, like, does not answer the question. She Mm. dodges completely and just turns on Simone. Mm. (laughs) Just is like, this isn't about Orville. It's about Simone disobeying me. What? 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 Eve, what? Yeah, and then she threatens to ground Simone for six months. It's it's just just crazy. She's just acting crazy. Right. Um, And... Well, there's no basis for it. I mean, for Eve, there's obviously a basis, but no one else knows about it, and so it lo- it looks blown out of proportion. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah, it's very clear that there's something there, and the Russells are not stupid people. No. These are all very bright people. Uh, I was gonna say women, but TC is not a woman. These are all very <laughs> bright people. Eve is a fucking doctor. Like, her her other daughter, Simone, is the only person putting things together. You know, Whitney is starting to put some of this stuff together. Like, these, these this, this is probably the smartest family in Harmony, realistically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I mean, think about the other families. What are the other families we know? Like, this is the smartest group of people. Like, if anyone's going to figure stuff out, it's the Russells. Yeah. So, they're getting this talking to outside of Orville's room. But meanwhile, inside of Orville's room, Chad is at his bedside, and he hears him call out for Eve. And so he calls Eve into the room and tells her that he said your first name, Eve. I thought you said you didn't know Orville, Dr. Russell. How does he know your first name? And just then, a nurse interrupts saying that Eve needs to see Charity. So that's when she goes out. Then we come back to this, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So... Back in Orville's room, 
Orville is saying Eve Russell over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. And TC and Chad are questioning if she knows him. They're both like, do you know this guy? Even TC's like, do you know this man, baby? And then she says, well, he must have seen it on my name tag when I was treating him. And, of course, TC takes that because, like, he thinks his wife is perfect. Right. He can't see any flaw. Yeah, he's so so, blind. She's so honest. She's never told a lie in her life. He has a real blind spot when it comes to Eve. We realize that in these next couple of episodes, I feel like. Yeah. He really... Because all of these little pieces, when once they come together, it's like, this is extremely suspicious. Mm-hmm. But he is taking the little pieces and thinking of, thinking of each little piece as separate incidents. Yeah. I think it's important to say a little bit. Outside the room, Whitney and Chad are doing some recap, so I'm not going to get into all of this. But Chad does keep asking her, like, what's keeping you here? Why are you hanging out at the hospital? Why are you spending time with me? With me? And she doesn't really give him a real answer. She's kind of inherited some of her mother's, like, question dodging and subject changing. But she does start to put some of the pieces of the Chad-Harris puzzle together, it seems like. Starting to say, why would your parents tell you you were born in L.A. if you were born in Harmony? Why, like, asking all the right questions. And then that leads her down a path of them calling him a liar. Yeah, she accuses him of lying about where he was born. And she says, well, based on what Orville told me, he uh, told us you were born in Harmony. Girl, like, literally, my parents told me I was born in Atlanta, but... I will. I don't remember exactly. that. All I can share with you is what I was fucking told. Right. I was an infant. Why? Why is she blaming him about not actually knowing where he was born and calling him a liar? The whole point of him being here is that he's trying to figure out what happened. Right. Yeah. So this was very interesting. But the most telling line of all was when, chat was when uh, she called him a liar. And Chad kind of pushed back, and she said, "Well, all I know is that the Russells do not keep secrets." I was like, right. Yeah, yeah, because she's like, uh, your family lied to you, and my family would never lie to me. Okay. Okay, <laughs> except that your dad has a secret shed that all of you know about and none of you talk about, and you're not allowed to go in. I mean, yeah. also, he has a knee problem that he will not discuss with anybody. Also, Eve has a huge secret that we know. Well, we don't know what the secret is, but we know that she has a huge secret. Also, you found that picture of your dad at Julian Crane's yeah. house in, in his fucking photo album y'all have nothing but secrets (laughs) yeah Uh, okay Okay. Whitney she's so holier than thou when it comes to Chad and it's really annoying but but Whitney redeems herself later in these episodes and I oh yeah I love her oh yeah Whitney's a real one yeah Whitney's a fucking real one yeah so Chad goes back into Orville's room to check on him and Whitney follows him back into the room which was interesting to me because, like, Eve had just said, like, y- y'all need to leave. And Chad said he wasn't going anywhere. But Eve has control over her children. And her children don't listen was, to her. It was so interesting to me that the, the direction here. Because, basically, Eve, TC, and Simone leave, but they leave Whitney with Chad alone. Seems like that would be a problem for Eve. Well, it doesn't seem like TC really cares TC likes Chad. He hired him. He doesn't really care what the girls do. And Eve is, Eve is off doctoring, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that TC just isn't really paying attention. I think he, cause he was at uh, the school. So I think he's a little more worried about charity 
Oh, I think, of course. you know, he's talking with Sam. We'll talk, we'll get into that in a little bit. You know, like I think, I think he's just not paying attention. Yeah. Well, back in Orville's room, uh, Orville tells Chad this ominous piece of news. He says, if you continue to search for your past, you'll die. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so then outside, TC's talking to um, Eve, and Eve is wondering where her kids are. And, <laughs> and then TC's like, oh, well, they're visiting with Orville and, you know, with Chad. And she's like, what the fuck are they doing in there? So, they all, <laughs> so then they all go into Orville's room. Um, but they, Sam interrupts their conversation, and he wants to talk to Orville. So everybody goes into Orville's room. Everybody. And, and they all overhear Orville tell Chad, again, I know a secret. And the secret is if you continue to search for your past, you will die. So now everybody is overhearing it. Mm-hmm. They're making sure that everybody is in on the, in on the loop. Mm-hmm. Well, Sam hears it, and he comes in. He tries to question Orville about the hit and run and about Chad. Right. Um, but Orville has forgotten. Like, he is not there anymore. His mind has gone. Because remember, Orville has, like, Alzheimer's or dementia. Yeah. And also, I think sometimes he kind of, like, I think fakes he it. plays it up a little bit to get out of situations that he doesn't want to yeah. have to deal with. Yeah. So, but Orville does start getting increasingly confused. More and more, like, where am I? Why am I here? And then that prompts Eve. That gives her opening to put everybody out of the room, you know. And then outside, the kids explain to TC and uh, and Sam how they met Orville. Um, And Chad says he didn't believe Orville at first, but he knew a lot of different details about him. And they talk about this birthmark. And then we get another, like, silly butt story. (laughs) Like, like it was... It was funny. The butt stuff was funny. The butt stuff is always funny. But <laughs> I hate butt stuff. <laughs> I don't mind butt stuff. <laughs> we'll be honest about it. I don't mind it. Yeah, and you know. So butt stuff. <laughs> so butt stuff. Now we're going to get into the sex ed portion of our <laughs> podcast. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, at, so as they're discussing this, Simone tells Sam and TC about her X-Files conspiracy theory, as Whitney puts it, and kind of catch all the adults up to speed about how they met Orville and where and wh- everything that happened. And Eve is furious because she's finding out more and more that her daughters are basically spending all of their time with Chad. And she's really mad about this. But but Simone makes the great point and says, isn't it obvious? Someone doesn't want Chad to know about his past. And Sam is on board. And he says, yeah, but who and why? Yeah. So Sam, so again, our buddy, our buddy, what is it? Buddy cop detective story, Simone and Sam. Simone and Sam. That's the show you want to I know. I think I want it, Sam. I I want it, Simone and Miguel. But I I, I like Simone and Sam and Miguel's like their mascot. You know, he's like okay. their, their little friend that, re- not really, no, not reluctantly, but their little friend who like stumbles upon clues. Okay. All right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Sam asks Chad, you know, do you know anyone else who knows Orville? It, nobody has come to visit him. We can't figure out who his next of kin is, blah, blah, blah. And Chad reluctantly gives Eve up. He, he you know, yeah. he reluctantly says, well, he did seem to know Dr. Russell, dot, dot, dot. Dr. Russell 
when asked about it, lies to Sam's face. Through her fucking teeth. Because Sam was like, okay, well, let me, let me pull Eve aside. And he's like, hey, what's, uh, what do you know? You know? And uh, she, she doesn't give anything up. She says, I've never seen him before tonight. This poor man's confused. Fucking liar. Yeah, well, she does it well. She's lying. You lying. wear it well. She does it well. So then, the, then Sam takes the kids aside for questioning, and they go somewhere else. And TC says to Eve, I know you're upset, and I know why you're upset. Secrets. What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and and so, then, so then she seems scared, like, oh, what does he know? And then he says, I know that you're upset that the girls have been spending time with Chad. And, and um, then she says, well, he's a street tough and he's arrogant and rude. What about the secrets? He didn't say anything about the secrets. Right. Was it that the girls were keeping this a secret from her? Look, I didn't write it down because it didn't make any sense. Like, I just, I was like, I... I'm sure that I typed it in and then deleted it when it went nowhere because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I don't know. So she says he's a street tough and he's arrogant and he's rude. And she's just like going in on Chad. And TC stands up for Chad and he says, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's just a little rough around the edges. And the girls are just trying to help him find out about his past. But Eve says, I don't care. I don't want him anywhere near our daughters. Yeah. And Eve asks her husband to stand with her on this one because up to this point, he has been really, really flimsy in parenting the girls when it comes to Chad. Like he doesn't really care. And, and which we've seen at the hospital, you know, but Eve is like, I need you to back me up. Well, and he goes, he goes, we'll talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) and, And then he also goes, why, why are you so sure that he is trouble? And Eve says, well, look, look what he's done already. He's gotten our girls mixed up in some hit and run investigation. And now they're deliberately disobeying me. And Mufasa. Um, they went to, and <laughs> they went to some strange man's house. Like, I mean, yeah. when you, when you string it all together like that, yeah, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> I also, Eve keeps saying deliberately disobeyed. And in my head, I just hear James Earl Jones. You deliberately, Simba, you have deliberately disobeyed me. You deliberately disobeyed me. He just oh, says yeah. it so beautifully, like deliberately disobeyed. He, he, and, oh. and you went to the, to the, the elephant, elephant graveyard. graveyard. <laughs> you went to a strange man's house. You went to the elephant graveyard. Yeah. Yeah. No, every time she says it, I just, it makes me yeah, think Lion King. Lion King. But. I know the words. I know you Because I had to teach it to children. I love that you know the words. Nope. I think I'm, I'm one of 1% of people that knows the words to it's that. It's a lion. Look, I it's see a lion. lion. That's what they're it's saying. It's a lion. Look, I see a lion. Anyway, so yeah. um, so TC and Eve are, are having this conversation. TC's like, okay, well, we'll talk about it later. And he's like, by the way, when I was coming in, I noticed that your headlight was busted. If you want, I can take your car in to get it serviced. Uh, tomorrow morning. And she's like, oh, no, I'll do it myself. And it was at this point that I put together a couple things. Well, he asks her what happened, and she she gets real nervous. She's like, oh, well, I yeah. hit a bump. Uh, you mean an Orville-shaped bump? <laughs> you hit an Orville-shaped bump? Yeah, because uh, remember that little detail from the previous episode where we're like, why do they tell us that she's late because of car trouble? That's unimportant. That is not unimportant. It was extremely important. Couldn't be more important. Did Eve run down Orville in the I, street? I I think it's a distinct possibility that she did. I think she did because she doesn't want uh she doesn't want TC to 
to take it to the auto shop. Right. That's so suspicious. Well, because Sam has put an APB out for any yeah. car that has like front end damage. And she says that she hit a bump and that broke your headlight. Like mm. since, since what kind of bump do you hit that breaks a headlight? You hit a person. So she tried to kill this man, ran from the scene and is now treating him at the hospital. We, we learned so much more about fucking. Ooh. We learned so much more about Eve in these episodes. Oh my it's god! Amazing. You, I want. You are going to be so shocked at the like. I feel like you think you know what's happening, but you do not. I don't. I have a few ideas, but I, I, I know that that I know that they're not right. I have, you know, I have. I've talked about it on the podcast, like a couple suspicions and things where I'm like, maybe it's going this way. Chad's whole thing is so shocking. I. I, okay. I, and I can't wait for us to get through it, but it takes forever. Oh. This is one storyline I remember taking a very long time to okay. resolve. All right. Yeah. We go through like another Chad before we get to like Oh, the seriously? Oh my God. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So yeah, Eve doesn't want him to take her car to the auto shop because she probably hit Orville with it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Mm. Mm. So then... Um, Sam brings the kids back and TC tells the girls it's time to go home and Chad heads back into Orville's room. But before he goes in, Sam stops him and says, you know, you need to let me know anything that Orville says to you, anything about the accident and anything about your past. And Chad's like, my past is my business. And Sam's like, your past is police business now because someone tried to kill this man because of you. Yeah, he says... Finding out your past may be the key to solving this case. Luis is off for the next few days, so I'm going to take this case myself. So, Sam! so many Sam! times in these episodes, yes. Sam, so many times in these episodes, uh, Sam brings up the fact that Luis is off. And he's like, I got to do everything myself. Are there only two police officers? Like, is it just the chief and Luis? Like, you can't put anybody else on the case. Luis isn't even a, de- he's not a, even a detective. detective. Yeah. I. I don't care. I don't I care either. Sam. I love Sam. I love Sam. Sam was like extra awesome in these episodes. He was like a fucking rock man. He really was. I really was into Sam. And I can always use more Sam. Oh, constantly. I could watch a show all about Sam. Just yeah. Sam and Grace living a happy life. Yeah. No, I watched that. Yeah. Yes. I would definitely watch that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Grace, watching episodes of Grace like making cakes and... Her husband coming in and giving her a kiss on the cheek. And, yeah. And, yeah. And then they like, do like crafts together. It would be like Barefoot Contessa, but just with like, instead of Ina Garten and her husband Jeffrey, it would be Grace and Grace Sam. Grace and Sam, yeah. I watched yeah. that on the Food Network. 100%. Mm-hmm. I've, I've watched worse things. <laughs> For sure. I've watched them with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, so let's finish this. Okay. So TC and Sam talk about the past, and then Eve has a flashback to the fortune teller. Like, they're talking about, what are they even talking about? I wrote, it's recap and flashback time. Okay. That's all I wrote. <laughs> so the end of this, the end of this uh, episode, uh, and the end of this half of our episode, is uh, what we've learned about Eve and Orville. That's the big thing because what they what they end with is just a flashback of Eve at the carnival talking to Tabitha, the fortune teller. Yeah, saying, I know what you did all those years ago outside of town. Yep. And that's it. And that's it. So 
We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hello, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the show. To the show. Yeah, Passions Podcast. Woo, we did it. All right. <laughs> so we're back, and now we're getting into the next day in Harmony slash New Mexico. Yeah, because we have not visited New Mexico yet, and bitch, we got to go to Santa Fe. And I, yeah, we got to go to Santa Fe. Santa Fe, my old friend. I hit the thing while we were yeah, singing. Whatever. Yeah, we got to go back to Santa Fe, and it, there's a lot happening there. It's so much so that it prompted me to like look up things about New Mexico, <laughs> like about the terrain and their climate and the seasons, their agriculture and tourism, so, tourism, population, everything. <laughs> no, so we're not going to start there. We're going to finish big with Louis and Sheridan. It's a lot. Yes. But let's start where we ended the le- the last half and that's with Whitney, Chad, Eve, this whole storyline. Right? Yes. So, in our past group, we opened the Eve storyline with her kind of absent-mindedly staring at Orville, and we introduce her in this group of episodes in a similar way. She's standing in her kitchen absent-mindedly making breakfast and staring off into the distance. Yeah, she's very distracted. And TC's trying to talk to her, but she doesn't really hear him. And then Sam comes in and he says, like, I'll have mine over easy. He makes, like, a joke about whatever. And then he walks over to Eve and gives her a kiss on the cheek, which I... It doesn't mean anything. I just thought it was fucking sweet. He's just a sweet man. I just thought it was so sweet. So then Sam and TC start to talk about the hit and run investigation. And TC's like, you got any leads? Sam's like, not really. Let me go make a phone call. Let's see if maybe there's some new information. Mm-hmm. So he goes to, take, to make that phone call in a different room. And Eve asks TC why he's involving the chief of police in such a trivial matter. <laughs> and TC kind of makes a joke. He's like, well, if I didn't know any better, I'd think you didn't want them to investigate this thing. You know, I wonder if maybe you're involved. Ha, ha, ha. Like, he makes, it's a joke. It's obviously, like, small. But Eve takes it very seriously and goes on the defensive. Yeah, well, and he also says, like, a hit and run is no small matter, Eve. Right, right. I mean, at this point, again, this is one of those details that TC is just choosing to ignore. Yeah, well, he can't conceive that his wife would do anything other than the right thing. Mm. Like, he just, he can't even go there. Yeah. It's like the, it's like the, um, like the parents or the loved ones of someone who has committed, like, an awful, heinous crime, like a murder or a spree or something like that, and they just can't believe that their child did it. Yeah. Or that their husband did it, you know? All right. Yeah, so... He, yeah, he makes that joke. If I didn't know any better, blah, blah, blah. Eve does not take it well. No, no. <laughs> yeah, she gets very defensive about it. But before they really get into an argument about it, Whitney comes into the kitchen and kind of diffuses it or kind of interrupts it before it really gets going. And then Sam also comes back in. And so, like, the fight kind of doesn't happen because of there yeah. are too many people. I also want to say, TC, I'm liking TC more. Because... Yeah. Um, Whitney comes in and she seems a little down. He asks her, how was practice this morning? And she goes, not good. I lost two out of three sets or something like that. And he's like, you'll get them next time, sweetie. You know, he was really sweet about it. It, It's a a change to how intense we've seen him be about Whitney's tennis. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. And I wanted to note it. Good. Um, Yeah. All right. Glad you brought it up. So, yes, Sam comes back. 
Yeah, Sam comes back in and he says that there are no Orville updates. He does make note that Orville is a loner. He did not receive any calls at the hospital, no visitors at the hospital. And so he's he's kind of running out of opportunities to talk to people who know him. So the next step is to find cars that have front end damage because that could lead them down the right path. And so TC repeats that joke about Eve uh, and, and and kind of brings up her car a little bit. And Sam laughs at it. He's like, oh, ha, ha, yeah, Eve hit and run an old man and then treated him at the hospital. <laughs> and Eve, again, does not take it well. She's like, that's not a fucking joke. That's not funny. Stop talking about it. And um, she gets really upset. Yeah, and then she, like, turns on Whitney. Yeah. She, she's always just, like, deflecting onto somebody else. Yeah, she tells Whitney that Orville might not be in such terrible shape if she hadn't gotten involved, as if this is somehow Whitney's fault. Yeah. I'm not the one that hit him with some, with a car. You are. You are, probably. We don't <laughs> Maybe, know for sure. Possibly. But it's, it's looking that it's, way. Yeah, they, they're making it seem like... I, listen... Eve does some shit, and I, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it. But God, Eve. I mean, it looks like she ran over an old man and then fled the scene. It looks that way, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, then what's go? What happens after he? She snaps on Whitney. Well, TC defends her. He's like, uh, "This all goes back to Chad. Like, this isn't about Whitney." And uh, Whitney then starts wondering, "What? What do you think happened in?" Uh, Orville's past that someone's trying to murder him to keep him quiet. Like what, what's going on? I'm like, I'm wondering the same thing, sis. That's all I want to know. That's all, all of us want to know. That's the big question. What happened in the past that someone is now trying to kill him? Yeah. Well, we don't know, but we, I think we will find out. But, uh, Whitney also says that she's just trying to help Chad find out about his past. And Eve like yells at her. Mm. It's like, I don't care about Chad's past. It's none of it. Chad's past is his business, not the Russell family's. It has nothing to do with us. Girl. Yeah. How uncharitable of you. I don't know. She's just, well, and Whitney says the same thing though. She's like, what's basically she's like, didn't you teach us to be kind didn't you teach us to help people when they're when they're going through a difficult time? Like, why should we not give this person the benefit of the doubt? You know, like she kind of pushes back against Eve because Eve is out of line. And yeah. he's like, you know, you can't take the ravings of an old man as gospel. And when he's like, well, we don't know what the truth is. Like, yeah, we're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. But Eve is like, don't argue with me, Whitney. Mm. Yeah. It gets, she gets really nasty with Whitney, but she eventually rolls it back and apologizes to Whitney and says that she's just concerned about her and Simone's involvement with Chad. Yeah. And um, she, they then have this back and forth about Whitney trying to help. Oh my God. Yeah. So Eve, Eve basically is like, I'm sorry. I I know I'm being overprotective, but I don't trust Chad. We don't know why he was actually at Orville's apartment. Maybe he was going to steal something and then maybe you would get caught being involved in something like that. She's like, so look, I trust you. I don't trust him. He's a, she calls him a street thug. Like she says all this shit about him. And she's like, I just don't want you to, I want you to stay away from him. And, and just, know that Chad won't be in harmony forever. And Whitney says, look, give me and Simone a little credit, please. Like, you raised two good girls. We're going to stay good girls. Yeah. Eve, you know? I mean, Eve really shows her ass. Yeah. 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 The whole thing about maybe Chad was there to steal from Orville was just, it was low. And I, you're better than that, Eve. Mm-hmm. You're better than that. Yeah. You're better than that. Yeah. I, ugh. Sh- ugh. 
So Whitney then is like, what's with you? <laughs> She's like, I've never seen you like this. And Eve apologizes again. She says, I'm just a little overprotective. That, this is more than overprotective. Right. The, you know, she's being really, na- very nasty. She's setting a very bad example for her daughters. Very, very bad. Well, and they keep calling her on it because it's obvious that what she is doing now is going against everything that she's ever said to them or taught them before. Yeah. You know, like, that's why everyone's shocked at this turnaround because this is not who Eve has been since since the girl's you know, have been raised by her. None none of them seem to recognize this behavior. Yeah. So Sam and TC, um, head over to Orville's apartment to check out things at his apartment because Whitney had told them, you know, based on what I saw at his apartment, it looks like, you know, he doesn't really have anyone. There's lots of stacks of old things. Maybe you'll be able to find some clues there. Also after they leave, um, Eve gets mad at her about that. She's like, why'd you have to tell them about Orville's apartment? Oh my God. It's just so suspicious. It's just all so suspicious. But anyway. So, but now that they know about Orville's apartment, they're headed to it. Yeah. And so when they get there, they're going through everything and TC and Sam kind of comment on how, how everything is organized. It looks like chaos, but it's been organized perfectly with like a different system. So instead of like, you know, albums being organized by band or by title, they'll be organized by like the year that they were released or yeah. something like that. So it all makes sense if you know how it's if been you organized. have the knowledge. Yes. Right. Yes. They then stumble upon a, a stack of unopened letters and one of the letters is opened. Um, and they're in these envelopes that haven't been addressed. Like they weren't sent through the mail. They were dropped out, dropped off at his apartment. Yeah, like hand his, delivered. Yeah, hand delivered in his mailbox. And TC's looking at these and they pull out a hundred dollar bill is in one of the envelopes. There is only one envelope that has been opened and in it, there's no letter. There's just a hundred dollar bill. Yeah. And then TC looks at the envelope and he says, these envelopes look really familiar. I don't know why, but they look so familiar. Cut to Eve sitting in her office, filling out the front of one of those exact same envelopes why is she using special blue envelopes girl get those basic white what are you doing Mm. you're trying to get caught eve eve so eve has been sending him bribe money or some hush money hush money she's been sent but except that orville opened only one of them and didn't even spend the money it's sitting in the envelope so like she's been sending him money but they're not being opened i think it's probably there's we don't know, but I think there's like some guilt involved with her where she's, I don't think he's has extorted this from her. Yeah. I think that that's something that she does. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's just something that she does. Like maybe she ruined his life and feels bad. And so she's giving him money. I think maybe she, yeah, I think maybe she got him involved in some activity that he wouldn't have been in otherwise. And, part of how his life has turned out is because of whatever he did. Yeah. Well, cause we know he's living alone. He doesn't really have anyone. He's living in that apartment that doesn't look that great. Like yeah. he doesn't have a lot of money. It seems to his me life like kind of took a shit yeah. because of something Eve did. or Yeah. Involved him in. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. I'm not sure though. That's just what it seems like, but that's it for them. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's all we see about this. So, I mean, so much intrigue. I can't wait I, to see what happens. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. But now, Let's talk about Teresa. We must. I love her so much. We must. I know I've said that a lot, but I just do. So it's the next morning for Teresa and Ethan. Gwen 
left the previous night after seeing them together, and Ethan has somehow managed to get the car battery charged. Maybe AAA came up and, like, jumped. Like, what happened? Well, he says the battery's all hooked up. So then I thought, well, maybe he somehow got a new battery. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I felt the same. I was like, how did he do this? It would have been nice if they had told us, but they didn't. That would have so. been a nice detail. <laughs> that would have been a good detail to include. That would have been a nice detail. Unlike the gas stove versus the electric heat, yeah. but whatever. Whatever. All right. So so he's got the car ready to go. He's going to take Teresa home. And uh, they're in the car, and he comments about how happy he is to be leaving the cabin and heading home after a night that he will never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Neither will we. Mm. Neither will we. And Ethan asks Teresa, you know, if you were Gwen and you walked into the same situation, what would your reaction have been? Oh, and child. Teresa tells this man, <laughs> if you were my dream come true, the man I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, the man I would die for, I would forgive you anything and I would never let you go. Girl, that- Slow that, down, crazy. Slow down. Slow down, crazy. But also, that's just so naive. That's such a yeah. naive little girl thing to say. That is. That really is. It's like, love overcomes everything. And that's like, bullshit. That's bullshit. That's absolute <laughs> bullshit. You can love someone as much as you want. And if you want different things in life, then your love it's will not, not gonna work. work. Yeah. It's not going to work. But yeah, she says, I would forgive you anything. Really? Anything? Would you really forgive this man anything? I think Teresa really would. I think Teresa would. She's a lunatic. She's this, as Miguel said, my sister is deranged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is a little deranged. Um, so he says to her, "Well, I hope Gwen feels the same way you do." Except we already know she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess he's hoping that after like a night of sleep, Gwen will calm down. Yeah. I, I, Ethan and Gwen are toxic. Yes. He's in and like anybody is toxic. Yeah. Well, cause he's dumb, but he also like seems to think that he can't, he can do no wrong. Right. And he thinks he's smart. There's nothing right. worse than a dumb person who thinks they're smart. True. Nothing worse. Oh God. We've yeah. seen that. Yeah. <laughs> we know what that, how that turns out. I'm sure all of our listeners know how that turns out. Yeah. Y'all have, y'all have somebody in your life. They think they're so fucking smart and they are dumb. Are you just looking at them like you are really dumb they for real. They stupid. They couldn't find their way out of a fucking box. So stupid. Like, yeah. Or they know just enough to be dangerous. Ugh. You know? Yeah. I think that's what Ethan is. He, like, knows just enough about the law <laughs> to, to, be <laughs> to be a dangerous attorney and not in a good way. He would just be a wild card. <laughs> wild card, bitches. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's Charlie Day. I'm all about bird law. <laughs> Oh, Always Sunny. That was an Always Sunny reference. If you Which, don't know. And he was in Always Sunny. He was in Always Sunny. All roads sunny. lead to Always, always sunny. sunny. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So they say. Oh. So Desert Rose. <laughs> D Soldier. D Soldier. Ethan plays D Soldier. Ethan plays D Soldier, and it's hilarious. Those shorts that he wears. Oh my god. Like the like a mid a mid-length denim cutoff short. Were they cutoffs or were they just dad I think they shorts? Were ju I think they were like the kind of shorts where you can like zip off the oh yeah <laughs> zip off the bottom. Half. Do you do I want pants, capris, or, or, or shorts? shorts? What a dumb fad that <laughs> you was. You can get all three in one pair of pants. Yeah. So anyway, let's get back to passion. Yeah, sorry, please. <laughs> way off track. So um, so what happens? So next? they're in the car. They're talking about how every time uh. Gwen sees them together. They're in some kind of compromising position. And he says, maybe if I talk to, talk to her, um, 
she'll understand. So he tries to call Gwen, but she doesn't answer. Of course she doesn't answer. Meanwhile, Teresa has a flashback montage of all of the things that happened the night before. So then after not getting an answer from Gwen, Ethan's like, oh, I'm going to call Sheridan for advice. But then she also doesn't pick up the phone. Yeah, he has to call Sheridan. But she doesn't pick up the phone, and we will find out why very Mm -hmm. soon. So y'all want to stick around for that part. Definitely. (laughs) So Ethan and Teresa are are now you know, talking again. And Teresa's like, you know, I really need to get home fast because if Luis finds out that I spent the night alone with Ethan in a cabin, woo, I'm going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So she calls Pilar and finally someone answers their fucking phone. Finally. And so as she's talking to her mom, she learns that Luis and Sheridan are in Santa Fe looking for Martin together. And Teresa tells Ethan that that's what's going on. And that's why he couldn't get a hold of Sheridan. Yeah. So then they get back in the, um, they get in the car because they were still in the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. So they go get in the car and they start to head back to Harmony together. And then Teresa's having this fantasy that Ethan literally swept her off of her feet at the cabin and asked her to make love to him and all of this stuff. He snaps her out of it by apologizing again. You know, (laughs) he goes, I'm sorry that you're all wrapped up in this affair that's all in Gwen's mind like a non-affair but Gwen thinks we're having an affair and I it's all imaginary in Gwen's mind it's like "Mm, it's imaginary in Gwen's mind but it's imaginary in Teresa's mind too which I think kind of makes it real well Teresa's (laughs) trying to manifest it like she's imagining it and she's doing everything everything in her power to make it happen she really is although she's not doing that much yet well yeah, you're right. She's not really doing... Actually, Ethan's manifesting it. Ethan is manifesting it. So it's existing it. in, in Teresa and Gwen's minds, but in reality, Ethan is the one doing the things. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah. That's so true. So, um, so he gets her home, and Teresa finally arrives home and tells Pilar and Whitney everything that happened at the cabin, and Pilar says, tell me you're still a good girl, Teresa. Hilarious. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Because she was worried that her daughter had had sex with this grown man. Tell me you're still a good girl, Teresa. That's an interesting way of asking if you had sex. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, I've never talked about having sex with my mother, ever. Not once. I never got the conversation, the birds and the bees. Are you serious? The, the one time it almost came up is my mom had, had gone to grab something from my purse and, like, opened up a pocket and, like, saw, like, a condom in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was, like, I was well in college at this point. And then she, like, made a comment one time where we were, like, watching a TV show with my sister and uh, the character was named Laura, and some, there was like a sex thing that happened, and she was she said no. The character Laura said like no, and my mom says my Laura doesn't say no. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! That's the only time that my mom has ever mentioned sex with me. Oh <laughs> my fucking god! She basically called me a slut. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's that's fucking oh, crazy. That's hilarious. I, yeah, me and my mom, my mom, yeah, gave me like multiple talks and like as a kid, and we've talked about sex some. Um, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want to talk <laughs> yeah, to her talk about to it. Yeah, yeah. But we've had like the odd conversation. Odd <laughs> being the operative <laughs> word. <laughs> All right. So let's go on. So Teresa's still a good girl. Teresa's still a good girl. <laughs> um, and so then they have this back and forth that they normally have about Gwen and Ethan, blah, blah, blah. Whitney's but then, there. Yeah, Whitney has shown up, which is great. Yeah. It's amazing. But then Pilar says to Teresa, this was so dumb. She goes, 
I know something about Gwen that you don't know. And it's why Gwen will win out in the end. And I'm and like, then, oh my God, we're going to get a big secret, a big Gwen reveal. Yeah. But no, because what does she say next? She just tells her, she's tougher than you think, Teresa. Okay. And? And I'm tough too. I live on the wrong side of the tracks. Yes, and? Lest we forget. Railroad Street. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Chicago, bitch. <laughs> no, seriously though. Like, that was... It was and also, so dumb. Also, the way they did it. Because yeah, because it went to like commercial break. Yeah, it cut. Like, it yeah. did a break and everything. Yeah, it's like, like it was going to be this big reveal and they come back and it's just like, Gwen's tougher than she looks. <laughs> she almost has to be because she doesn't look like tough at all. <laughs> She's such she a looks, waif. She looks like I could blow <laughs> on the back of her head and she'd fall over. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah, she does. She doesn't. Yeah, look. I was like, that's the big reveal. She doesn't look sturdy at all. No. No. No, not a sturdy not a sturdy girl. girl. After Polar leaves, Whitney then warns Teresa about Gwen and she says, you know, after Gwen's done licking her wounds, she's going to come out and she's going to come out fighting and you better be ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Teresa says, oh, well, Gwen would never fight. She's too much of a lady for that. Also, did you have to rewind that a bunch of times to figure out what the fuck she was saying? I just didn't write it down. I couldn't understand what she was saying. I heard she's too, too soft. I was like, what the fuck is she saying? I said, Whitney and Teresa talk. And then I was confused, but yeah, yeah, I didn't get into any of the details, but she, but she does. She says, Gwen would never fight. She's too much of a lady. She's too soft. Knock, knock, knock. Exactly. That's like, I didn't want to finish my sentence, but I said until we got there, but Whitney and Teresa are talking when Gwen comes and knocks on her door. Like I just, I was like, I don't care what they're talking about. Well, (laughs) Teresa excitedly goes to the door thinking maybe Ethan. Ethan, Well, she thinks, well, maybe Ethan's already realized that I'm the one for him. She runs to the door. She opens the door. But Gwen is standing there, and Gwen says, we need to talk, Teresa. And Teresa's like, oh, why are you here? And Gwen's like, I think you know exactly why I am here, mm-hmm. Teresa. Mm-hmm. Well, Teresa invites her in, and she says, uh, you know, you remember Whitney, right? And Gwen's like, oh, yeah, she covered for you when you were stalking Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> Gwen! Gwen is mean girl in it up. Gwen is, like, cutting out all, the, all of the bullshit, and she's just speaking truth. Mm-hmm. I like this Gwen. And then Teresa's like, well, I didn't stalk him. You know, she's like, I didn't stalk him. Chill the fuck out. Well, except you did stalk him. Except, yeah, except, except you totally you absolutely did stalk him. him. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, kind of. He showed up to places where she was, and then she spilled things on him because she was nervous. Okay. That Most was, of that she wasn't stalking. So look, that isn't the stalking part. That's when everyone in the show talks about stalking. That's what they're talking about. When I say she did stalk him, I'm talking about the second half, which is when she put on a disguise, <laughs> basically pretended to be somebody else, and hid from him if she, was, if she actually looked yeah. like herself. Yeah. Which is... Stalking. stalking. Yeah, for sure. And would like follow him around. She stalked him, just not in the way that everyone thinks she did. <laughs> That's so true. Yep, she did. So Pilar comes in and she's startled to see Gwen in her fucking living room. Mm. She's like, uh, Gwen, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And uh then Gwen's like, Oh, I just need to talk to your daughter, Pilar. I want I don't want you to be late for work. You should go. Uh fuck no. You are a grown woman. Then I took so much issue issue with this. Gwen is a grown woman with a grown woman job. Teresa is a child. You don't just show up to, like, my mother would never leave me alone in a house with a woman, a grown woman who just showed up to talk to me. Yeah, but she did the same thing with, with Teresa and Ivy and the job. Like, Pilar, I know. Pilar is constantly bowing out of situations with her daughter where she should 100% be involved. Yeah. She should have stayed. Mm-hmm. She should have stayed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because 
Well, this show treats Teresa like she's an adult and she is not like she's supposed to be a high school student and we never once see her in school. (laughs) Like she's got, she's got a job. She's spending the night in a cabin, like doing an overnight, like weekend, like she, they don't treat her like, like the child that she is. Yeah. So then Pilar leaves her child at home with this surely angry woman like she knows what happened between these people like you know that Gwen I feel like I would be worried Gwen was gonna kill my kid I would be worried she was gonna do something to my kid I would yeah I would and I even if it wasn't like physical I would want to be there of course you know well she needs so she she needs needs to do some mothering it needs needs to be yeah she needs to mother her child there needs to be more than are you still a good girl Teresa that's the end of the conversation yeah like that's not that's not anything yeah. Well, Pilar does leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pilar leaves. She's like, peace, I'm out. And then Whitney makes a little excuse and goes into Teresa's bedroom with the phone mm-hmm. to schedule some lessons or whatever, tennis lessons. Well, then what happens? Gwen starts in. She says to Teresa, you're aware that Ethan's quite a catch, aren't you? And uh, Teresa tries to play stupid and Gwen says, well, you know that he's handsome and incredibly rich. You would just love to get Ethan, wouldn't you? And Teresa still tries to play dumb, like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean, get Ethan? And Gwen says, look, any girl in town would love to marry Ethan. After all, he has, quote, his looks, his money, his big house on the hill, end quote. Nothing else? Nothing else? Like, all she talks about is that he's handsome and he has money and he has a big house. What about, like, the important stuff, Gwen? Like, who he is as a person? Yeah, because her next one was... And his body, and I would know a lot, of, a lot about that. It's all, like, physical and material yeah. for her. And that's, like, that's unequivocally the least important stuff. Yeah. Like, who you are as a person and the substance you are made of is, is the most important part of choosing a partner in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Gwen is uh, materialistic. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, again, I was on Gwen's side up until this up point. Up until then. I was really starting to like Gwen Mm-mm. up until this sentence. And I was like, oh boy. And then it just goes downhill. Because Way downhill. It gets worse and worse. Mm. So she says, you know, I'll, every girl will want to marry him, blah, blah, blah. Teresa's like, you think Ethan would marry me? And then she's, Gwen says, it's not about what Ethan wants. It's about what you want and what you would like. And uh, Gwen finally says, you know, be honest. You're after Ethan, and you have been for a while. And I'm not going to let him get trapped by some gold digger, and I will do whatever it takes to protect my investment. I wrote exactly that with a big WTF after. What the fuck? What the fuck? And Teresa latches on to the same word that I think we all latched on to, which is investment. Investment. And Teresa says, you're not talking about, that doesn't sound like you're talking about love. It sounds like you're talking about bank statements and stocks. And Gwen tries to fix it by saying, well, I'm talking about the investment of love that I have made over the years. And it's like, Mm. uh, I think you said exactly what you meant. Mm -hmm. Especially given that you led up with his big house on the hill. He's rich. He has money. He's a good lay. Like, I I, I think we know, I think we're all on the same page here. And you said exactly what you meant. And then she says... Do you have any idea what it's like to fantasize about someone constantly for years, dreaming of a lifetime together? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's Teresa's entire character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they wrote this character, that's like the 
line that they wrote about her. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> to describe this character. Yeah, that was the description in the yeah. <laughs> next to her character. In the, name. In the fucking script. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in in the pitch to NBC. Right. Um, but yeah, then Teresa's like, I mean, yeah, I have felt that way about someone. <laughs> and then Gwen's like, is that someone, Ethan? And then just before Teresa can kind of really get into it with her and give her response to Gwen slinging all these insults her way, Gwen gets a page and asks to use Teresa's phone. And Teresa's like, well, Whitney's using it right now. Well, she now. doesn't even ask. Oh, yeah, you're and right. And this is why, the, again, the rest of this, I'm going to rail against Gwen and Ethan. Yeah. Okay? So y'all just strap in and get ready. <laughs> what happens is her pager goes off. She says, oh, I need to make a phone call. I saw that Whitney took the phone into your room. I'm going to go get it. Like, she just walks and heads off into this person's home. Mm. Like, you don't just walk through people's homes, number one. Number two, Whitney's on the fucking phone. Right. Number three, you're rich. Why don't you have a cell phone? We know she has a cell phone. We saw her talking on it. Yeah! What do you need to use my phone for? So then she makes her way back to Teresa's room, and Teresa's like, no, you can't go in there. And then Gwen's like, well, why can't I go in there, Teresa? Hmm... When I was in boarding school, all of these girls had all of these shrines on their walls to all of these rock stars that they loved so much. Is it that when I walk into your bedroom, I'm going to find a shrine to the boy you love? And Teresa, I love this. Teresa stands her ground and says, look, this is my house, and I'm telling you not to go into my room. And Gwen goes in anyway. Gwen is fucking annoying. Like, don't you have a job? Can you go do your job instead of harassing teenage girls yeah, this at whole, their home? This whole thing is just one violation after another, in my opinion. Go the way, away. The way that she speaks to Teresa beforehand, the way that she pushes into her house, the way that she then pushes her way physically into Teresa's room against her wishes. Like, it's just one violation after another. Absolutely. So, yeah, she forces her way into this teenage girl's bedroom, Mm-mm. but she doesn't get past the threshold. She just opens the door and stands there and she goes, just as I expected. Okay, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hate Gwen. I hate Gwen. She obviously hasn't seen anything yet. Right. Oh, I hate Gwen. But it fools Teresa because she's so panicky and she's been yelled at and called horrible names and she's freaking out because she does have a shrine to Ethan in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. So Teresa out in the hallway starts to confess. Always. She always starts to confess. She does. But she just needed to wait because Whitney is a real one. MVP. M- Whitney does so much in the next, like... Five minutes of this episode that I was just like, she is excellent. Yeah. How excellent are you? How excellent are you? Because what did Whitney do? Well, she, she has taken down all of the Ethan pictures. And I suspect that Whitney went to Teresa's room specifically to do that. Yeah. Like I, she could have gone to the kitchen to talk, you know, like she went to Teresa's room and I feel like she went to take down those pictures just in case. I think you're right. Yeah. And she... She cleared the wall. There was a whole wall of Ethan paraphernalia, and there was like stuff on Teresa's mirror, pictures tucked into the the uh, corners, and she she took down everything and hid it. I guess under the bed. Yeah, I think so. I think it was under the bed because we later see one little straggling picture sticking out from under the bed. So Gwen comes into the room to make her phone call. She takes the phone from Whitney. <sighs> I, I hate her. I really, really hate her. She takes the phone from Whitney. She makes her phone call, but there's no answer or something. I don't remember what it was I about. It I, doesn't it matter. Wasn't important. And but during that, Teresa is like, "Thank you so much, Whitney. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. You saved me." And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Teresa's like thanking Whitney profusely, shaking. And and Teresa's like, "Thank God I didn't say too much," because she was about to say yeah. everything. She, she was, was on the precipice of was, blowing everything up. Yeah, but she didn't say enough, really. 
uh, to to make Gwen even wonder, you know, wh- well, what, how bad it was going to be. Well, what Teresa says is like, I guess I might. There's no no point in denying it now. It, it's like the last thing she said. And then she walks in and she says, like, I only collected. And that's when she stops. Mm. So then after Gwen's phone call, she's like, what are you collecting, Teresa? What did you say you were, what was that about? And uh, you were trying to tell me something. What was that? And Teresa's like, uh. And then Whitney's like, baseball cards. She collects baseball cards. (laughs) What if, what if Gwen asked to see this collection? I know. I was worried about that. But that didn't happen. And why didn't it happen? Because Ethan comes in. These people. He barges in. So Pilar has told Ethan, because he's frantic, been looking all over for Gwen, calling her, just trying to figure out where the fuck she is. So Pilar finally tells him, she's at my house. <laughs> yeah, I saw her coming in when I was leaving. And I was leaving. I don't know what happened, but maybe you should go over there. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> stick around to parent my child, but maybe you could go help her out. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, so he, Ethan barges into this home. You no do- No knocking, no doorbell, like... You just come in. Yeah. He came in and walked straight to Teresa's room. The, everybody uh, in that circle, Gwen, Ivy, Julian, Ethan, all of those people just feel that they are important enough that they should be allowed to go wherever they want mm-hmm. when they want to be there. And it doesn't matter whose space they're in or who they're stepping over to, to do it. They just, none of these people should be in Teresa's room and all of them barged in. Mm-hmm. Well, Gwen... Uh, is questioning Teresa about why she didn't want um, her to come into her room, right? And this was so stupid. But while she's questioning her about it, she her heel is on that picture yeah, that her, is the heel left out. The heel of her ugly shoe. It was a very ugly shoe. Has like somehow one of one of Ethan's pictures has kind of gotten stuck under the heel. Yeah, under the heel. And um, Teresa is like, oh, I, I thought it was going to be messy in here. And I, oh, and she says, and I didn't want it to get back to Ivy that like my room was messy or something like that. And then Gwen's like, I would never tell Ivy um, that anything about this. I would, I don't want you to lose your job, Teresa. I would never tell her that I suspect her secretary to have a mad crush on her son. Hmm. You wouldn't, you would never say that. I I, hate- that felt like a threat. Yeah, it sure did. It felt it, like it a felt threat. like that's exactly what you're gonna do. It felt like a threat, but then Ethan comes in, and uh, yeah, what happens once Ethan comes in? Just more entitlement. Yep, just more entitlement from these people. Basically, he snaps at Gwen and tells her to stop giving Teresa the third degree, and he says, "Gwen, we need to talk, and we should leave Teresa alone. So let's go outside and do this. There's no reason for you to be here. There's no reason for you to involve her in this. This is between us." Except they don't go outside. They go to the fucking living room. Right. They go to the living room. And I was like, these two people are so terrible. Like, they, I, I just, I hate them. I'm sorry. This, I, this whole exchange, the, the fact that they were barging into her house, in her room, bothering her, pestering her, especially and, Gwen. Well, but then Ethan comes in without calling, knocking, ringing a doorbell, as if it's his space. And then it seems like he's going to do the right thing and depart. But instead... He yells at Gwen and drags her into the living room to continue their argument. Like, it just it just gets worse and worse. They really just make a very strong case for why we should eat the rich. Absolutely. <laughs> no, they, just, they, they absolutely do. Just no manners at all. None. None. No, no sense, no manners. Again, it's entitlement. Like, I have power and I have money so I can do what I want. It doesn't matter. You don't matter. Yeah. Your space doesn't matter. Your home doesn't matter. Like, it's all of this is my my folly and my whims 
can go wherever they want and I can follow them wherever they want because what's yours is mine. Yeah. So they are before they argue in Teresa's room back and forth and Gwen still has that picture on her foot and this was amazing. Gwen still has that picture on her foot and as they're about to go into the living room she starts to feel something under her foot she, and she picks it up quickly and Whitney dashes for that picture. Like, I mean, like she was going for a tennis ball that just d- fell right over the net. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. She dashed for it and she grabbed it and like pushed Gwen. Yeah. <laughs> she knocked Gwen over. And Gwen's like, what the hell? And Whitney's like, oh, you know, that was an article from a, uh, a magazine about Arthur Ashe. I was trying to hang on to. I was just trying to save it. <laughs> and they just are like, oh, okay. And they leave. Yeah. So go Whitney. She go saved Whitney. the day two times. Go Whitney. So, so they're in the, the living room arguing. Yeah. So Ethan and Gwen are arguing in the living room. It's some recap stuff, but Whitney and Teresa are eavesdropping. And Gwen, I wrote down, says one good thing to Ethan that I really liked, which was, after all these years we've been together, the least you could do is trust my judgment. And obviously you don't. And then she leaves. And yeah. then she leaves, which prompts Teresa to go out to the living room to talk to Ethan. And she says, this girl. Ethan, I think you need me now. Yeah, because she's there to confess her love. She told Whitney as they were standing in the hallway lit over, uh, overhearing this argument, she told Whitney, she's like, if she breaks up with him, I'm going to tell him I love him. <laughs> this girl. It's like, this is not the time, girl. You got to give it some time. This is not the time. Like, I really, I really want to be like the Paula to her Rachel, crazy mm, ex-girlfriend. Yeah. I feel like I could have helped her a lot. In she this, wouldn't have listened. In this moment. She wouldn't have listened. She, yeah. What has Teresa ever listened? Yeah. You, you could ch- try to follow her as much as you want, but she ain't going to listen to you. She ain't listening. Yeah. So, yeah, she goes out and does that bullshit. She's ready to confess her love to Ethan. I think you need me now. And that's where we leave it. And them. that's where we leave it. So we're going to have to find out in the next set of episodes what happens. But you, 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 you know, know it's she's not coming not, out. She's not going to tell him she, she might say him. it, but he won't hear it. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she has said, she has now said it. Three, four times, four times. So many times. She's done it four different times now. Because she did it twice in his bedroom. The one time outside the door, the second time outside the bathroom door. Right. She did it once at the ballet. Yeah. And then she did it once at the cabin. She has now confessed her love to him four times and he has not heard him, heard her once. Not one time. Yeah. So she's going to do it again and he's not going to hear her. Probably. (laughs) Uh, So that's what's happening with those kids. Let's talk about some other kids. Yes. Let's talk about some charity and Miguel and all of this shit. Oh, joy. Oh, rapture. Your, your very favorite character. So excited to talk about charity. I love talking <laughs> about charity. She's the best character. All right. Let's talk about these okay. people. I do enjoy that. I actually do like this storyline. I just don't like charity. Yeah. I, uh... I, I do. I like this charity at this. Oh, fuck. I like this charity, not the old charity. <laughs> I like the storyline is what I was going to say. And charity bothered me less than usual mm. this time around. I wouldn't mind if that continues to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's really been lame up to this point. This is for real. All right. So let's talk about these fun people. Uh, <laughs> at the Bennett home, Sam and Grace are talking about the fire, right? And Grace says, why does fire play such a terrible part in my life and the ones I love? That's a very good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's run them down right now. Okay. Grace almost died in a fire 20 years ago. And lost her memory and as a result. And lost her memory. Then Faith was in a house fire and died. died. Charity almost died in that house fire. Mm-hmm. And now Charity has been burned at the stake. Is that all of them? I guess that's all, but they're pretty That's big. a lot. I mean, fire is... That's, that's crazy. A, that's a lot. 
It's a, it's a lot. Charity That's is a almost, lot of fires for people to be. I've never been in a fire. Well, and it's, it's yeah. That's not true. I set a fire one time by accident. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wasn't in a fire, but um, I had this candle that I had bought at a flea market, and it was, I loved this candle. It smelled so good. But um, it had gotten down pretty low, and then, and it was like an oil candle, and it like, ignited one time it was on fire and I was like taking a nap and I woke up and I I like saw some light coming from like the hallway I was with my my ex at the time and I was like what is that and I went to the kitchen and it was a blaze (gasps) I mean it it was a huge fire like in but it was contained inside the big candle (laughs) thing but it was a big fire and then um my ex came in because I was like, oh, I really had one of those moments. I fucking panicked. Yeah. I panicked because I was like, it's an oil candle. I can't put water on it. Right. And uh, he came in and he like smothered it. Yeah. He brought it because I was yelling like, there's a fire. So he brought a blanket and smothered it. But it was, yeah. No, that was a lie. I, I have, I set a fire once. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you almost burned down your apartment. It was gross. I hated oh that apartment. Oh my God. It, 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 it needed it to been, be burnt. <laughs> yep. It's burning it down would have been an upgrade. It, we need to raise that building. <laughs> All right, raise it to the ground. So let's move on to these fires. Okay, yeah. So yeah. So Grace makes the point basically like my family has been involved with like these very intense fires and very intense losses because of that. What's going on there? Yep, we don't know. Well, we know. Well, we know, but she and (laughs) Sam don't know. And Sam again, then again, his mind turns to Tabitha, and he goes, you know, I wonder if she knows anything about the fire. And Grace, again, asks, like, why would she know, <laughs> you know, which is logical, yeah. but Sam is right. Sam is correct. Yeah. Well, and Grace also says, she, well, she thinks that the fire was an accident. And she says, everyone at that rehearsal was Charity's friend, including Tabitha. And Sam is like, well, I'm not sure if it was an accident or if that was said on purpose. Yeah. So Grace is trying to convince Sam that it's nothing. And Sam's cop instincts are like, nah, there's something here. There's a lot here. For sure. Okay, so, you can so, do that. so just very quickly, Grace, is, Grace and Sam are at home basically preparing lunch because the kids are coming home after a half day. They're coming home early because the auditorium was set on fire and they have no cafeteria <laughs> because no of cafeteria. it. So they're on there. So they're at school and what happens there? Well, uh, Charity is steady getting back these memories. You know, we see the memory of her spilling, spilling her drink on Miguel and she's like, oh, I remember how we met. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so they're on their way home. Because they have to go get some lunch, right? But first, Charity wants to stop and grab a little something. She doesn't say what. And then make a pit stop at Tabitha's house. Because she's curious about the uh, picture that she saw of a pilgrim. Because she's starting to get these memory flashes, but she can't put it all together. But she feels drawn to this painting. Yeah, she wants to see it again to see if maybe it'll spark a new memory for her. So Miguel offers to walk her to Tabitha's. And what's going on at Tabitha's house? Well, over at Tabitha's house, Tabitha is nursing her wounds from her encounter with that angel. She's got a giant, like, old school ice pack on her head. Like, I, I don't know. She's just sitting there, and and she uh, she's a little she's she's a little down. Yeah, she's not feeling so good about herself. <laughs> yeah, she and feels she, like she's washed up. She says, "You know, our days here in harmony are numbered. It's over, Timmy. That the brat won. It's over." Then Tabitha says her days of trying to kill Charity are over. She's done. It's still, it, this is all done. The the brat won. The forces of darkness have forsaken me. <laughs> yeah, like, whatever. She She's down. She's lost her powers. She's she down. doesn't have anybody to help her. She's like, I'm down and out. 
And Timmy's like, Tabitha, you're not washed up. So he does a magic comedy routine to prove that that Tabitha is is worth fighting for and she she's got to rally herself. It was ridiculous. And then and but he, it works. Well, he's not very good at doing the tricks, but it does kind of work because then Tabitha starts to participate and then she starts doing magic tricks. And I'm like, is this sleight of hand or are her yeah. powers returning? Well, it was lifting her spirits and then she did do the tricks and I had the same moment where I was like, well, I think I wrote Tabitha does a little sleight of hand because I was like, I don't think she has her powers and I imagine Timmy I know Timmy doesn't have powers and he mm-hmm. thought that they should work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe they are just tricks, but yeah. So basically at this point, Tabitha hears Miguel and Charity approaching and Miguel says, uh, you know, are you sure you want to do this alone? Like she's kind of weird. And Charity's <laughs> like, no, it's okay. Like I, I, she's nice and I want to go talk to her and I'm hoping that maybe I'll be able to remember things and recognize that voice that I heard the night of the fire at my house. And I'm, I think this will be a good thing to do. That's the last thing Tabitha the last wants. last thing Tabitha wants, but Charity goes in anyway. And she knocks. She, she knocks. knocks on the fucking door. Charity knocks. Yeah, that you know what? Charity's better than Ethan and Gwen. Well, and I guess she, Gwen knocked. And she has no memory. She has no pre-fire memory <laughs> at well, she's all. she's getting her memories back now. But she still remembers <laughs> to knock on the door. <laughs> yeah. And Gwen. she brings a fucking present. Yeah, she, brings a, she doesn't come empty-handed. That's right out of the Emily Post yeah. <laughs> like, etiquette book. Yes. So she knocks and Tabitha lets her into her house (laughs) and Charity tells Tabitha that she's starting to get her memory back. She's like, I'm so excited, you know, and she's like, but I'm getting my memory back, but I would really like to see that pilgrim picture, but I see it's gone. And Tabitha says, oh yeah, it sustained some damage from the embers from the fire. So I threw it out. Okay. And Charity's like, oh, that's too bad. I was hoping it would trigger a memory for me because I kind of felt woozy when I saw it before, but oh well. I just knew that picture was going to come floating back down the stairs. I know. (laughs) I really, I was expecting it to make a return. But it didn't. But it didn't. So Charity thanks Tabitha and gives her a present to thank her for encouraging her to do the pageant. Mm -hmm. Charity is thanking Tabitha for setting her on fire. And she, (laughs) she brings her a big gift bag. And inside of it is a pot of plant. plant. Who, Who gives somebody a plant in, in a bag? bag? <laughs> I wrote the same thing. Like, what the fuck? So Charity, and I, Charity didn't bother me. I thought this was all very sweet, minus the plant in the bag thing. And she's like, you know, I do want to get to know you better. You're my neighbor and blah, blah, blah. So Charity's very nice to Tabitha. Uh, and Tabitha's like, makes up an excuse about a headache. Although she might've just had a headache. Yeah, (laughs) charity is a headache to her. Yeah, and uh, charity won't leave. Tabitha tries to get charity to leave, and charity won't fucking (laughs) leave. She keeps talking to her. Yeah, she just keeps talking. Yeah, and then Tabitha finally tells her, you know, don't don't go too fast with your recovery. Try try and take things slowly. And uh, Charity's like, that's exactly what my cousin Kay said. And Tabitha's like, well, you should listen to her. She's a very smart girl. (laughs) (laughs) And then Charity finally leaves. Finally, yeah. So after Charity leaves, one of Tabitha's ancient tomes, yes. she, her words, not mine, one of Tabitha's ancient tomes comes floating down the stairs and into the room, all aglow. It's glowing. It's glowing. It's glowing like orange and yellow and red, like all these really bright, brilliant colors. And, and I was like, is this bitch getting her powers back? Like, what is happening? And then it bursts into flames and oh opens God. up. And she does. She thinks this might be a sign that she's getting her powers back. Oh, yeah. It bursts forth with flames from hell. Yeah. And then <laughs> once the 
the flames actually went out because they went out pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Um, She very carefully picks up this tome and she recognizes it as uh, a book of predictions written by an old witch 1,000 years ago. Predictions that are meant for 1,000 years in the future. And Timmy's like, if that's the case, then these predictions are for now. (laughs) And y'all got to hear these predictions. (laughs) Well, I have them. So the first prediction that Tabitha reads to us is, the girl of the new millennium must not find love or she will destroy the forces of darkness. Okay. And Tabitha's like, well, that's old news. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that already. But wait. But wait, there's more. Charity's powers will be strengthened and enhanced thousandfold by the love of one particular boy. A boy who will save her from two fires. How very specific. And Timmy's like, well... Charity's been in fires, and Miguel saved her from two of them. It can only be Miguel. (laughs) And then they're like, I've got to keep Miguel away from Charity, but I need someone to help me keep Miguel and Charity apart. But who? Who could it be? Who could it be? It could be. K. Of course. Of course. K fucking Bennett. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) And Timmy says, that girl is evil. Yeah. Oh, I loved this, actually. He says, that girl's evil. But Tabitha's like, no, she's not evil. She's just confused. She's a middle child. And she goes, and I've always been able to work well with middle children. And, you know, they say something else. Simone says something to Kay later on about she's just suffering from middle child syndrome. And I was like, I... I understand this. I get what the fuck Tabitha's saying about how easy it would be to work with middle children. I'm a middle child. (laughs) I am a middle child. And like when you get left out so fucking much, it does. It makes you like, I'll do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do anything to get my fucking way at this point. If nobody's going to help me. Mm. Yeah. No, it does. It does jade you a little bit. It makes Mm. you a a bit of a cynic. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I'm the oldest. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the middle child struggles, but I do love that the writers are basically having Tabitha try to convince us that Kay isn't evil. Well, she's just confused. It's like writers. Kay is evil. You you wrote her to be evil. You wrote her evil. And it's funny because I think we were just discussing before about how lovely Tabitha is. Like, I love Tabitha. I really love her. And she is definitely evil, but like, it's the kind of evil I can get down with. Yeah, she's fun. <laughs> yeah. She's a good time. If you're, if you're bad she's and a also, good fucking time, and a good time, like I'm much more likely to ride with you than if you're good and a bad time. Tabitha's a good time. That's so true. Right. All right. So bad, you wanna, bad witch, good time. You want to go on over to the Bennett home. Yeah. So the kids finally arrive at home uh, after Charity's little rendezvous with Tabitha. And uh, when they get there, Sam starts asking them about the fire because they were all at the rehearsal when it happened. And he's like, did any of you notice Tabitha during the fire? They all say no. And Grace again is like, it is illogical for Tabitha to be involved, like let let it go. You're going you're you're going down the wrong path here. Yeah, she does, but she's wrong. He's but she's right. wrong, and Sam is right. And they go into the uh, living room and fold laundry together, and we just get a little Sam and Grace moment being sweet. Yeah, it is. I love it. They they're folding laundry, but then they, he it does turn back into like they're talking about charity and everything, and he again is talking about you know Tabitha, and then she like changes the subject to like 
why don't we make a little sexy time? Like, like, well, like there's no kids around. You don't need to be thinking about this the fire from last night. You need to be thinking about the fire waiting for us in the bedroom. Oh, except oh. right here on the couch. Except right here on the couch. Sit down yeah. on the couch and make out. Yeah. But meanwhile, in the kitchen, Charity and Miguel are talking, and Miguel officially asks Charity out on a date. And I thought this was actually really sweet. It was. Um, he tells her that they did have a date before. And she's like, oh, my God, I kind of remember it. Like, we went, we walked around Harmony, and you showed me the ocean. And, all, like, they, I don't know. She has a memory yeah, she remembers. She remembers some of it, which is cool. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. So he asks her out, and then Kay storms out. Simone runs after her, right? And nobody cares that she, Not she has, like, stormed out. And Miguel then says to Charity, um, this is going to be the most fantastic first date ever. Uh, one you'll never forget. You will remember, won't you? promise and charity says how could i ever forget you twice miguel watch watch her do it watch her do it if anybody could do it is this bitch which is one of my favorite lines how could i ever forget forget you you twice twice. miguel i love that i think it's so funny (laughs) it is funny it is hilarious i wrote that one down too because it was hilarious oh my god oh but then charity goes to get ready for her date and she interrupts Sam and Grace's sexy time because they're doing it in the living room. Well, so ma- she walks through. They're like, they're making out. They're not like doing it yet. They're not doing it. And there's nothing wrong. Of course, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying she interrupts because they're, they're in the living room. They're in a public space. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Charity interrupts and she's all excited. She tells them that she's got a date and she asks Grace to help her with her hair. And Jessica's going to help her pick out an outfit. And it's, a, it's actually really sweet. Like, I don't know. I never... I never had that moment. Yeah. Like, I was like all excited. My mom was a part of it. My sister was like, it just never happened for me, you know? So I thought it was really sweet to see. Yeah. So um, they, the ladies go upstairs. Downstairs, Sam talks to Reese and Miguel and is like, you know, take care of my girls. Because he talks yeah. to Reese about Kay kissing him at the dance. I loved it was, this. It was so funny. Like I wrote, it wasn't very important, but I loved it. I did too, and I'm going to talk about it just a little bit. So Sam tells Miguel basically take things slower else. He does it nicely, but he tells he's like, you know, she's been through a hard time. Like, you better take things slow with her, uh, with Charity. And he gives Reese the, a, a bit of the third degree. Like, oh, I heard a certain rumor about one of my daughters at the Halloween dance and something about a kiss. And Reese is like, oh, oh Mr. Bennett. Oh. Yeah. And he tells both boys that he couldn't be happier for his girls to go out with them. And I'm yeah. like, oh, Sam is Sam. so sweet. Father of the year. Seriously. Father of the year. I love him. Okay. But so- then Jessica comes into the room in tears because she has been snooping on Kay and Simone's conversation outside where Kay is talking about how upset she is. How she's how she feels so unloved, and so Jessica comes in and tells her father, yeah, uh, what's going on. Yeah, so let's go outside. Mm-hmm. Kay is sad, and she admits defeat. She says it. She's I'm defeated. I've lost Miguel for forever. She's in a lot of pain, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, Jessica has is overhearing how sad Kay is, but who cares? Like I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like. Okay, you're you're sad that a boy who never said he liked you doesn't like you. I don't care yeah. about this. Like, Kay, we've also done this like eighteen. It's times so with delusional. Yeah. But this is the first time that she has like uh, it's over. This is the first time she's really like this is over. Yeah. She every other time she's just been scheming. To be fr- to be honest, I uh, I think I prefer scheming Kay to sad Kay. I I uh, just don't care about Kay. 
I don't care about Kay. Yeah. At least scheming Kay, I get to hate her, hate her. Yeah. You know? That's but, how I feel but about like, it. But, like, I don't feel... I do not feel bad for Kay. No. So, no. Not in this moment at, at all. Not at all. Not in this moment at all. But they're, try, they're trying their damnedest. Mm. They really are. Well, even, Simone also doesn't feel too bad for Kay because she's listening in. She's listening. She's listening. She's listening. And Kay keeps saying, I'm so sad and mm. it's over. I'm defeated. And eventually... Because um, Simone says, you know, to her, I'm sorry. And then Kay kind of snaps at her. She's like, all you keep saying is I'm sorry. And Simone's like, well, what else am I supposed to say to you? You need to snap out of it, to be honest. You're just dealing. You, there are so many people who are having a worse time than you right now. Yeah. And you have a, a, an amazing family, a loving family. You have no clue how lucky you are. You're just dealing with some middle child syndrome right now. Yeah. I, and I felt complicated about this. Because on the one hand, it's like when somebody's sad, sometimes you just need to let them be sad Mm -hmm. and not like try to, because this wasn't even a, like a pep talk. Like you, you are great and you will do better. Yeah, this was tough love. It it was real tough love. And I, 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 I don't know. I, so I get what Simone was saying, but on the other hand, it's not super helpful. Yeah. Well, Simone's also been dealing with Kay's bullshit for forever and got slapped yeah. in the face. So Absolutely. I, get, Absolutely. I get the reaction. Absolutely. But eventually Sam comes out and he's, he uh, does exactly what Kate needs him to do because Sam is, as you said, father of the year. And I don't know if it's just me. I got a little teary eyed. Yeah. This, me too. At this speech that he gives he his was, daughter. It, it was beautiful. It me was too. beautiful. He says all the best dad things ever. And it's like, I remember when you were born and you were a sweet little baby, how beautiful you were, how much I loved you then and how much I love you now. And I cried tears because of of how wonderful you were, tears of happiness. And I know I'm going to cry tears when you you leave. I'll be heartbroken when you go off to marry someone and I'm going to cry again, but I know it's because I love you. And like, he just goes on the most beautiful fucking speech about how, how loved she is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was very sweet. And then he says, I know what's upsetting you. It's about Miguel, isn't it? And she's shocked. She says, you know? And he kind of knows, but he doesn't. Like, Sam was almost right on, almost hit the nail on the head, but he just missed it by, like, an eighth of an inch, you know? Yeah, well, because he thinks that Kay is upset that Miguel, her best friend, has found love. And he misses the part where she's upset because he hasn't found love with her. And it's because he watched them grow up together and have always been best friends. And so I think he can't look at them beyond friendship. Yeah. So Kay, I think, really appreciates this talk from her dad. You know, she gets the wrong thing from it, though. (laughs) Like, of course she does. Because because (laughs) Sam Sam talks about how Miguel would make a great son-in-law and he would be happy to have... Miguel is a son-in-law, but also Reese as a son-in-law, Uh-oh, right? Oh, Reese. But I think <laughs> Kay doesn't understand that Sam thinks of Charity now as one of his daughters. Yeah. And so he would be he's thinking of Miguel as a son-in-law now. So when he leaves, she thinks that she's like failed him because Miguel won't be his son-in-law. And it, it was just really interesting how she what she took from the, what he said to her. Yeah. Because he said all of these great things, and what she took was... I'm disappointed. I, he, he, well, he's disappointed that he's not going to be Miguel's father-in-law. Right. You know what I mean? And also, <laughs> Simone comes back and asks what happened and everything, and uh, Kay tells her 
that her dad was talking about invite wants to invite Reese over for dinner because he's like, hey, you want to invite Reese over? And because he thinks that she likes him. Right. <laughs> and she's like, no, no. And then he kind of teases her about being nervous around a boy she likes. And she's like, ugh. <laughs> so Simone comes back and she's like, what the fuck was that about? And um, Kate says, well, he wants to invite Reese over for dinner. Probably thinks I can't do any better. <laughs> <laughs> That shit cracked me Probably thinks I can't do any better. You, uh, you wish you could do as good as Reese. Yeah, you fucking wish. Look, Reese is awesome. And, Rick, and Reese, Reese is a good guy. He's sweet. He gave her like that flower. Yeah. He, he's always standing up for her, even though she's the worst. Yeah. And he's smart. He and wanted he's to do her homework. He's fucking smart. He wanted to do her homework. He's smart. He's going to make a solid husband. Yeah. If not a very wealthy husband, too. Yeah. I'm just saying, you could do worse. You could do worse. Miguel and, is worse. And he's cute. Reese is a Reese Yeah, is a Reese is hot, boy. man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. don't know why I said it like that. I don't I wish you hadn't. <laughs> but you did it now. <laughs> okay, we gotta keep going. So Tabitha is hiding in the bushes as she tends to do. Mm-hmm. I love Tabitha in the bushes. That's that a sounds like a place good, to be. That also sounds like a good like book. Tabitha in the bushes. Tabitha in the bushes. <laughs> Yeah, she's like a like gardener. a children's book or That's something. That's exactly what I'm saying. Tabitha's a gardener. She's like pruning the bushes into like shapes yeah. of bunny rabbits and shit. I think that would be a good book. Anyway, Tabitha's in the bushes listening in on all of this, and she hears Kay saying, "It's over. I'll never get Miguel now." And Tabitha pops right up, and she's like, "Ooh, uh, perhaps I could help you, Kay, dear." <laughs> okay. All right, and that's and that's where we leave Tabitha and the kids. Yup. So let's, we got to talk about uh, Sheridan and Louise. But before we do that. Yeah, I think there is another scene. It's a long scene with Julian and Ivy, but it is all recap. So I think it's, it's, it's worth stopping at the Crane Mansion though, just to see a little scene between Pilar and Julian. Yes. So Julian has uh, told Ivy that he knows a secret about her, but he was bluffing. He doesn't know anything. So he says, oh, I'm going to, maybe I'll, dig for information from Pilar. So he stops Pilar and he says, Pilar, is there anything, uh, any secrets? <laughs> he basically like asks Pilar about secrets about Ivy. Yeah. And she's like, what do you mean? I, I don't have anything to say about this. And he's like, well, I just want to make sure that if there's anything that I can get ahead of it, because there's so many people in the media who, if they got a hold of it, that they would, you know, smear my wife's good name. And then, Pilar, because Julian clearly thinks that he is so smart. Yeah. And he clearly is not. But so he says, so feel free to tell me anything you've seen or heard here. And Pilar says, I've seen a great deal while working here, but it's always been my policy to keep it to myself. Other people don't need to know what's going on here. Do they, Mr. Crane? Uh Uh-huh. And Julian says, of course not. And dismisses her. Mm. <laughs> oh, Pilar. You know, this really reminded me of, like, Julian is Count Almaviva. Yeah, okay. He's the fucking Count. Okay, yeah. And and Pilar and Teresa are both, like, Susanna. Yeah, well, because it's, yeah, yeah, I can see yeah. that. Yeah. 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 All right. That's a, that's a marriage of Figaro reference. But go. that's what, like, that's what I got from him trying to, he thought he was outsmarting her. Yeah. He's such an idiot. He's such a buffoon. Mm-hmm. He's such a buffoon. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Shuis. Oh, my God. We have to go to New Mexico. So we have left Sheridan and Luis in their adjoining hotel 
uh, <laughs> sweets, basically. And Sheridan was having a nightmare uh, and is screaming in her sleep. And Luis busts through the door and, and goes to comfort her and is holding her. And she is yelling, I did it. Oh, my God, I did it. And she's having a nightmare where Luis is yelling at her for murdering her father. And she's, she is admitting to it. And, yeah, she keeps saying, he came after me. I know I, I know I did it. You have a right to know. She says all of these different things. And I said, is she awake or not? She was because not. Because she's got her eyes closed, but she's sitting up and she's thrashing and she's speaking. And it's like she's responding to Luis, but, but I can't tell what's happening. I think part of it is she is responding to Luis, but she's responding to Luis in her dream. Okay. And he actually is there and is asking her kind of the same kind of question, like, what is going on? Got it. Okay. What did you do? Yeah, because I wasn't... I really... I wasn't, I wasn't following. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she, um, is, is screaming all of these things. He's trying to comfort her, but then she finally like wakes up and uh, she sees him and is shocked that Luis is in her room and has broken down the door. She's like, what are you doing here? And he explains, well, you were screaming and I thought you might be in danger. So I broke down the door and she's like, oh, okay. Well, I've been told that I, that I talk in my sleep. It's like, that's a little more than talking in your sleep. Right. And, and uh, he's like, well, it seems like something is really, really bothering you. Like something terrible happened when you were a little girl. Like, what's going on? And she's like, well, I'm sleeping in a strange bed just really threw me off. It's like, bitch, you sleep on couches. Yeah. You never slept in a bed. And she also was like, what did I say? What did I say? Because she was very concerned that he heard or found out that she maybe killed his dad. Right. And he's like, I don't know. It was all really scattered. I, you know, I couldn't really make it I out. I couldn't really make it out. And she's yeah. like, Oof, breathes, breathes a sigh of relief. Yeah. Right. Basically, Luis at this point kind of tries to blame her and says that she's sleeping in a strange bed and is having a bad night because she impulsively flew to New Mexico. So it's her fault. And I was like, what is this? Like, why? Again, like the writers have set up a situation where these two are starting to get along and it's fine. And then they just throw in a stupid twist where they're arguing for no reason. Yeah. Well, that he does that. And then he goes back to his room, tells Sheridan go back to sleep. And she's like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. And she wonders if she killed Luis's father. So she decides she's just going to go back to Linder Industries by, for whatever reason. By herself. By herself. In the middle of the night. For whatever. This was so, this plot point was so loose, lax. What? We've been there twice, and both times they were closed. Yeah. Uh, so she, what are you looking to find? I, girl, I don't know. So, so she heads out. Luis hears her adjoining door close, and is like, "Where the hell is she gone?" And kind of follows her to the shop. Yeah. So now we go to Linder Auto Auto Shop. Auto, what's auto, it called? I, it was. I wrote it on the other one last week. It was like Linder Auto Body Repair and Wrecking okay. and Towing. They go to Linder. Yeah, they go to Linder Industries. But uh, Luis finds Sheridan there and notices that someone is inside. Someone is actually in this place in the middle of the night. Interesting. Like how many people are just like at their jobs at like in the middle 2 a.m.? Isn't he pouring himself a drink too? He's, and he, yeah, and he's in like his work clothes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he pours himself a drink and he's like, uh, top of the morning to you, Martin Fitzgerald. Like to himself. To himself, yeah. It's it, weird. It's really weird. I don't know. Whatever. So they knock on the door. Martin comes to the door, but he doesn't say he's Martin at first. Well, right? they, they can't make out who this person is. So because of the door and like the frosting on the glass and the way that the light is positioned, they can see a silhouette of Martin, but they can't make out his features or see his face. 
And so Luis on the other side of the door says, I'm looking for Martin Fitzgerald. And the dude said, the guy says, that's me. Ah, okay. So they think that they've discovered Martin. Yeah. We all think we've discovered Martin. But then someone inside the shop rings the phone and Martin answers and says, oh, I haven't heard your voice in years. And uh, who's on the other side of the phone? Fucking Julian Crane. Hmm. Julian Crane himself, hmm. because this man, uh, Martin, had gone to get the keys. He was going to let these two people in. He was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And uh, then the phone rings. Yeah, and it's Julian. Yeah, it's Julian telling him that there are two people in New Mexico looking for him right now, his sister Sheridan and Luis Lopez Fitzgerald. And he insists that they cannot find Martin. And uh, Julian is about to explain what to do, but Ivy walks in, and so he has to like hang up the phone. Mm-hmm. So Martin bolts out the back. Sure does. Bolts out the back. And meanwhile, up at the front, Luis is like, this is it. We're about to get the answers I've been looking for. Blah, blah, blah. And then they hear Martin driving away. They hear like the the peel of rubber on the road. Like that tire is squealing as Martin gets out of that parking lot. So he escapes, Martin does. And then Luis calls the owner, I guess, of Linder Industries, Mr. Linder himself. I wasn't sure. My next note is, wait, did I miss something? Because now Sheridan Luis are talking to the guy in charge of Linder. I had, I did have to rewind this because I was like, what the fuck? How did they, what? I refused. <laughs> I was like, they, I didn't, did. they didn't do a good job and I'm not going to go back and do it for them. I rewound it because, and, and when I did, I found out that Luis had called um, to have him come in, had said that he was a police officer and that's why Mr. Linder came and, ah. you know. And so he shows him his badge, and then he asks him about Martin. And uh, Mr. Linder says, yeah, he's worked here for about 15 years. Uh, he said he was from California, but every once in a while I would hear, like, a little New England accent. And then he was like, and he also said he was never married. But when he first started, we all noticed a tan line on his ring finger. And all of these details together brings Luis to the conclusion that this is his Martin Fitzgerald. Absolutely. And the owner then tells Sheridan and Luis that Martin has an isolated cabin up in the mountains a little bit, and he likes to go there and fish. And he immediately gives them directions in a rental car. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, Luis and Sheridan are heading to the cabin They're together. going up to the cabin. But as they are ri- driving up to the cabin, Luis has like a flat, that baseball money flashback and he's like letting his mind wander and he veers off the road and crashes this rental car if i were sheridan i would never let louise hear the end of it Mm -mm. never Mm -mm. never ever 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 no so they get out of the car he wants to take sheridan to the hospital but she insists that she is fine and that she goes this isn't my first car accident (laughs) ha ha you know Whatever. I made me laugh. Yeah, it made me laugh too. But then Luis does, he apologizes. He's like, this was definitely my fault. And he's like, I don't know what happened. And so then they have like a tender moment outside where Luis is talking to Sheridan and Sheridan's like, you know, you're going through something traumatic. You know, of course your mind is wandering and of course you're having a hard time. Whatever. They have a sweet moment. They have a lot of sweet moments. They do. They, a lot, and a lot, I mean, they're on this journey together. So most of it is centering around Martin and there's a lot of retelling of the Martin story, but whoa, uh, weaved in with that are, are these two characters getting to know each other and talking about their childhoods, talking about their past, talking about their hopes. Will Martin be the person that they think he is? If he's not, what could that mean? So there's, it, it's, these two are really starting to get along with each other and starting to learn who the other person is at their core. Getting to know you. 
getting to know all about you, getting to like you, getting to know you like me. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's perfect. That's exactly what this is. Yeah, it was. It's. I really like this. Okay, I did too. So, Very quickly, mm-hmm. we have a, uh, a a moment with Martin Fitzgerald. Uh, pouring himself another drink inside of a cabin. Presumably it's the fishing cabin. And he says to himself, I thought this had all been taken care of. I thought no one would come looking for me. Julian had better handle this. Yep. After all these years, I don't want my secret discovered. So Mm. who is he? What is the secret? Who is this guy? Is he like a missing crane brother that Julian has sent down to be a decoy? Like, who is this? What is the secret? I don't know who he is. I don't know what the secret is, but... I want him to be a murderer <laughs> that they like a, a hitman that they just like keep on the payroll. Yeah. And he, you know, has assumed Martin's identity. Yeah. Who is this? Person? I don't know. Yeah. So but Sheridan and Louise walk and they find a diner and they go to the diner and, uh, There's an old dude working there, and Mm -hmm. they tell he tells them that uh, he knows where Martin's cabin is. He's like, "Oh yeah, Martin comes through here. He hasn't been through in a while, but his cabin's up this way. You're not thinking of hiking up there, are you?" And they're like, "We don't really have a choice. Our car's out." Blah blah blah. And then this man's like, "Well, you got you got to be careful." If it rains, there's gonna be a lot of flash flooding, and apparently, this was the time when I was like. Does it flash flood a lot in New Mexico? And so I did a little research. New Mexico has a monsoon season. Had no clue. A monsoon season. Didn't know about that. From, I think it said from like uh, May or June to September is like the heavy monsoon season. And it's like so dry that when the the water doesn't get absorbed into the ground. So like oh, it just runs it just off. Runs off. Yeah. Yeah, I that yeah, makes they have sense. a monsoon season. Wow. Crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, so this guy is like, you know, it's clear right now, but there's supposed to be rain coming, so I don't know if it's going to be safe to go on foot. And Luis is like, well, Sheridan, why don't you wait for a car, and then I'll go on by myself. And Sheridan's like, no, I'm going with you. Thank you very much. And together, on foot, they head off to Martin's cabin. Yep, even though we have seen that the rain clouds are forming. But here we go. Oh, boy. Here we fucking go. So, of course... While they are hiking this trail, a storm comes in and it it starts to pour down. These actors must have been so uncomfortable. You know they're under rain towers and they're in like coats and fully clothed. Fully clothed and they're just like drenched in water. They must have been, oh, a nighttime shoot. It must have been so uncomfortable. Yeah. They must have hated filming this. Yeah. So the, um, we should ask, we should ask, uh, we should ask Mackenzie Westmore. We should ask. Okay. We'll do that on the Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes she comments. Sometimes I know. Sometimes actors comment <laughs> on our Instagram and I don't know how to feel about yeah, it. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, what if they hear what we say? And yeah. I don't think we really say terrible things. No. It's kind of just about the show. But it's and because mo- we love it. And a lot of it is about the characters. The characters. Not, not about the actors. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry. The path they are on does become flooded. Uh, it becomes so flooded that it sweeps Sheridan away. Yep. Uh, she is she is swept off by the water. It rushes in and pulls her down into it, and she knocks her head on a rock and, and falls unconscious and starts to drown. Luis sees that this is happening, and he goes to save her. Yeah. And, um... Well, we they get, both fell into the water. Oh, yeah, they both fell. They, like, slid and fell into the water. Yeah. It was It was intense. And um, we get this really interesting scene where, I, again, I think we go into Sheridan's, like, film noir, black and white mind, 
And then that's juxtaposed with what's re- what's happening in reality. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of get this back and forth. And so she's kind of imagining herself drowning and being saved as Luis is swimming through the water towards her. He pulls her up to the surface and starts swimming to shore. And she's really out of it. It's freezing cold. She's drowned. And she says, who are you? And there's very heroic music playing. And then he manages to like get her to the ground and like dunks her on the, uh, dumps her on the, uh, on the ground and starts yelling at her to breathe and grabs her arm. And I was like, is there not going to be any mouth to mouth? Like what's happening? Yeah. And of course, uh, there's finally some mouth to mouth and Sheridan and Sheridan lives. Sheridan lives. Sheridan lives. lives. And he picks her up and he walks, um, carries her. Miguel Much style. like, I was about to say, much as Miguel, I mean, this is just the Lopez Fitzgerald way. He carries her <laughs> to a nearby cabin because they, they had spotted the cabin and they, and they think it's Martin's cabin. Although Martin was at the, where's Martin? Yeah, Martin is supposed to be at a cabin. We saw him So maybe inside. this wasn't his cabin. So I don't know if maybe he was there and then left or if this is not his cabin. I don't know. So they go into this cabin. Well, it was unlocked. They go in or maybe he just knocked down the door. He's good at that, breaking yeah. down doors. <laughs> they didn't show us that part. Anyway, they uh, go to this cabin and Luis puts Sheridan on the bed and he's like, she's freezing. She's cold. She's not going to, she might succumb to hypothermia if I don't take those clothes off of her. (laughs) (laughs) And so he, he goes to start peeling these wet clothes off of her. And she like, again, I was like, is she asleep? Is she delirious? What's happening? But she, she screams out, save me. Yeah. She says something before that, that I just didn't understand. I rewound this like four times. I I never did get it. I couldn't understand it. She was just like, save me. And then she throws her arms around him, gives him a huge hug. And, uh, and I don't know. My next note is this is absolutely insane. (laughs) It's crazy. Well, Louise holds her and he tells her that she's safe with him. And then Sheridan has like another dream about Louise saving her from the waters, but she doesn't recognize Louise in her dream. Yeah. And then she comes, kind of comes to, but her vision's still really blurry. And she's kind of, she sees Louise and she says, are you the one, are you the great love of my life? Yup. Yeah. 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 Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, remember the little dreams that she used to have about mm-hmm. like the guy in the trench coat with the hat, the fedora pulled over his face. <laughs> saving her. Was, saving her. It was Louise. It was Louise. It was Louise. It's always, it's always Louise. But you know what Louise says? He says, no, it's, it's me, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the great love of your life. It's just me, Louise. I think you've, uh, you're mistaken me for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, at this point, Sheridan is like nude. Her clothes are off. She's under a blanket, you know. Uh, And I'm like, there's another blanket on the bed. Like, put her under all of the blankets. Mm -hmm. But she's just under one. And she's all in a daze. And she's like, I was dreaming of a man who would love me for who I am and not for my family or my money. Are you that man? (laughs) And Luis Luis is so nice. He's like, okay. (laughs) He, like, just ignores it all. He's like, okay. He's like, you were in a serious accident. You need to get some sleep. You need to rest. Yeah. And she insists that he hold her hand because she's so afraid that he's going to leave. Well, she says, I'm afraid that if I close my eyes that you'll disappear and it'll break my heart. And I got to tell you real quick, I had a trip like that one time. (laughs) I I got so high one time that um, every time I closed my eyes, it felt like I had falling asleep when I was dreaming and I was like so worried that my ex that I was with at the time that he would like disappear I was like trying to keep my eyes open because blinking was terrifying 
blinking was awful. So anyway, that's that's that story. Oh, so, so you get where she's coming from. I get it. So she insists. She's like, I'll, I'll rest, but please hold my hand um, because I, I need to know that you'll be there and that you're not going to disappear. And he agrees. And then she goes to, to lay down. But in reality, she pulls him in close and kisses him full on the mouth. Right on the mouth. A passionate kiss. And he's into it for a moment. He doesn't pull right away. He Not right away, but he does eventually yeah, pull away. Yeah, but he does eventually pull away. And she says, don't you love me? Aren't I good enough for you? And he says, you're good enough for any man. Aww. Aww. And she says, you don't want me because of what I've done. Just like the voice in the room telling me that no one would love me. You don't want me either. You found out, didn't you? And Louisa's like, what happened in your past? Yeah. What happened to you? And then... Water starts to come down the chimney where he started this fire to try to keep her warm. He's like, oh, no, water's coming in. The fire, if the fire goes out, she'll die. Without a fire, Sheridan will die. (gasps) And so the next logical step is he's going to have to warm her with the heat of his own body. Of his own naked body. Yeah, he he strips off his clothes. Well, his clothes are wet, too. Yeah, and that was one of the things I thought, too. It's like, why didn't he get undressed, too? Because he was as wet as she was. And I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, well, yeah, he needs to take him to. off anyway. He's going to get undressed. So he undresses, and he puts his rock-hard body next to Sheridan's rock-hard body. <laughs> and and no, these, these two, two rocks try to warm each other. These two are so beautiful. I can't stand it. And then he gets in bed with her, and he's, like, like spooning her. And she turns to him and says... Well, before she does, he says, as he's getting in close, he says... This may be the only chance to save her. Like the writers were very sure to make this as unsexy as possible so that none of us would think that Luis is a creep. Yeah, because that is Because we have crossed many lines. So many boundaries crossed. So many. This unconscious woman. Okay? So they keep saying like Sheridan will die if I don't do this. So he crawls into bed and says this may be the only chance to save her. And then she turns to him and says, make love to me. Oh. oh. Oh, what? Make what? love to me. Oh. Okay, Sheridan. Uh, oh. How do you respond to that? He's not no. going to. You just he's say not no. going to. You he's... know he's not going to. Of course not. No. So that's the end. That's the end, though. We oh did it. Oh, my God. Make we did love it. to me. Make love. Oh, no. Okay, you know Sheridan. Mm-mm. So, yeah, let's finish this up. All right. So that's it for this week. Uh, it's a long one, so you can stretch it out because we will not be releasing an episode, uh, after Thanksgiving. We're taking a small break. Uh, but you can always follow us on our social media. We'll still be posting, uh, at passions podcast on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, and you can send us an email at passionspodcast at gmail.com and also check out the website. We've got merch. We've got a forum. Episodes are up. Yeah. I, um, had forgotten to put the episodes up this last time, so they're all caught up now and it's. Next week's episodes are there now, too. So Cool. All right. And with that, you are my passion for life.